This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, May 26th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 242. Powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out Steak for Breakfast on thenationalpulse.com. There you'll find our exclusive members-only content and links that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Guys, big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello. Lots of breaking news. Weaponization of our federal government, especially at the IRS and FBI, is still ongoing. We'll check out the latest on there. Also, the latest on the debt ceiling showdown. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis makes his challenge for the Republican nomination official against Donald Trump. We'll look at all that. We're also going to have a great slate of guests coming in today. Supply chain expert and economist, National Pulse contributor Jim Nels will be joining us. Ohio Congressman Max Miller will be here as well. And we'll sit down with the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense. Great friend of the show, Mr. Cash Patel. But before we get to any of our interviews, let's jump straight into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you're first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Remember, you got to be checking us out at our new home at thenationalpulse.com. It's where you're going to eventually find all things steak, including our big first bonus content, our only steaks content, which is going to be airing this Sunday and exclusive. Do you really just only steaks? That's what we're going with. Jesus. I like it. And, uh, one-on-one interview with the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. You're a nasty person. Mr. Raheem Kassam. I could also tease that that episode will be a part one of two, and we're going to get back with him very soon and, and record the follow-up because not going to spoil it. You'll see where it ends. And then next week, our bonus content is going to feature a former assistant trade secretary and Nixon surrogate, Monica Crowley, host of the Monica Crowley podcast. She's unwaveringly MAGA. She just bought an awesome op-ed this week in Newsweek, which we shared across our social medias, and we'll be very happy to sit down with her next week as well. So it looks like our bonus content is going to start being shared on Sundays. Look for that. If The only way you're going to be able to hear it is if you're signed up for the Pulse Plus, so head over there and uh, change the way you consume your news as we're about to feed into that right now, if you know what I'm talking about. Speaking of meatballs, mm. Ron DeSantis officially kicked off his presidential primary challenge to Donald Trump on Wednesday. Uh, The National Pulse cited their article as failure to launch. That's pretty much it in a nutshell, and it was ugly. Boring. Yeah, very telegraphed, extremely robotic. Ron DeSantis made a couple of really big mistakes here. I just want to point them out early. First of all, visual aesthetics is something that you can't really compromise when you're doing something as big as a launch for the highest office in the world. And Ron DeSantis passed up on the opportunity by not even having a video component of this launch. In addition to that, you just have to talk about buying power here. So Ron DeSantis gets hosted in this Twitter space by Elon Musk. Regardless of how much you like Ron DeSantis, Elon Musk is the bigger personality. 
So you're already playing second fiddle to the host slash moderator uh, mm-hmm. before this thing even starts. And kind of set him back a little bit. You know, we, we've heard the donors weren't happy when they had a campaign kickoff brunch the next day. Yeah, Ron DeSantis has about 12 stops over first five primary states this weekend, including Iowa and South Carolina, where he's really got to save face. We're actually hearing the DeSantis campaign is saying that his first event in Iowa will be the official campaign kickoff now because of how bad this Twitter spaces was. Right before the announcement, they put out their campaign videos about a minute long, and you're going to start to see a little bit of a trend throughout the course of this first segment here as we talk about Ron DeSantis announcing his candidacy. I'm going to let you guys try to pick up on it before we talk about it, but uh, let's take a look at this campaign launch video and see what you guys think. Our border is a disaster. Crime infests our cities. The federal government makes it harder for families to make ends meet, and the president flounders. But decline is a choice. Success is attainable, and freedom is worth fighting for. Riding the ship requires restoring sanity to our society, normalcy to our communities, and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we prove that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. We held the line when freedom hung in the balance. We showed that we can and must revitalize America. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. So it was was a pre-recorded thing. Well, that was the video that they put out right ahead of the Twitter spaces. Yeah, but that was the official campaign video. And that was the best. Like, this is the best take. Yeah, that's great. Don, Ron, whatever your name is. (laughs) Well... Regardless of what his first name is, I get, apparently his last name is DeSantis again. DeSantis, I know. I was well, like, wait. He's, re- he's really going to be uh, falling back on the Italian-American community, which I consider myself one of the official spokespeople for. I am 100% Italian. Anything and, uh, you put on the teleprompter, DeSantis will read. So, How do they read in Italian, Ron? Tell us. How what? How, how do they say his last name in Italian? The proper way, not <laughs> his way that he just... <laughs> DeSantis. No, we're not talking about with a fucking Mario accent here. Uh, no, it would be DeSantis. DeSantis? Yeah, DeSantis. But not DeSantis. Not when he phonetically sounds out his own name as much like he did back when he ran for a House seat, but dropped right before he ran for a Senate seat and a governorship. And now he's brought it back for the original version for presidency. You think, you think all the politicians are going to start doing that now? Like Federman? I'm, Don- <laughs> I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of where we were at uh, as far as the campaign kickoff goes prior to the Twitter Spaces event, and uh, we are going to play a little segment from that, unfortunately. Now, again, there was, I guess, close to several million people that came and went. By the time Ron DeSantis actually got to talking and... Everybody gave up. Yeah, there was like 260 to 340,000 people in there. I mean, you know, we've seen Tim Pool compared uh, a Sony video game live stream event on YouTube that was hosting 
700,000 plus people live at the same time as the DeSantis event. And how does that not crash and Twitter crashes? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's a very good question. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting how this whole thing went down. So Ron DeSantis reads like a seven minute prepared extension of that campaign kickoff video that we just kind of played for you guys to highlight his policy points, right? But there's no real substance in any of the policy. Crime is rampant. The border's open. This is where Donald Trump's going to be able to, it's kind of cliche to say, trump a lot of these candidates because as they hypothesize what their solutions would be, he has ones that he's already, you know, attempted or successfully achieved in doing. And then it gets into, like, questions and answers. And, of course, Elon Musk, fanboy, Never America First congressman. Tom Massey is like one of the first people they bring in, right? Okay. So so he starts talking about how he was the first congressman to own a Tesla. Who gives a shit? What does that have to do with Ron DeSantis' campaign? Really? And then they get into like this conversation about, you know, Tom Massey was just fanboying. Ron DeSantis is sitting there quiet and like listening or laughing at some of the stuff they're saying. And Tom Massey's like, yeah, I hacked a Tesla battery to get my house uh, 100% solar and all this like weird stuff. They're talking about like cryptocurrency. And I'm just well, like, how do you hack a Tesla battery? I have no idea. And Leon Musk didn't know either, but he, th- this is where it went. It went from like, couldn't. He went there just for. T- <laughs> yeah. Musk, <laughs> Musk is like, oh, that's uh, very interesting. <laughs> no, Elon Musk was actually like, oh, this is actually very interesting. I'd like to hear about this. Oh, yes, uh, and, uh, tell, tell, tell me again how you uh, hacked the Tesla battery. <laughs> and Ron, Ron DeSantis is sitting there twiddling his pudding fingers. <laughs> and, and we're not talking about like supposedly the greatest launch in the history of, of presidential kickoffs ever. So we, we kind of. It lost steam from the beginning. I mean, even the tease up to the event, they put out like their campaign backdrop for all of their social medias. Mm-hmm. It's like a really bad, cheap knockoff of an Adobe stock alligator head swimming in a swamp, <laughs> which completely goes against the whole draining the swamp narrative. Your campaign mascot's going to be literally in the swamp, up a to swamp neck. monster. So, well, I mean, it's applicable. Oh, man. That's who's financing him. And that's the thing we've talked about for so long. We've had a lot of really respected and high-profile commentators come on this show and talk about how the C and D and E-tier people that Ron DeSantis has gathered to make up his campaign apparatus are just awful at their jobs and everything they do. They've gone online and tried to astroturf and rewrite the history of Ron DeSantis, and there have been so many amazing patriots out there who have come with receipts just today i saw pedro gonzalez was talking about uh you know ron DeSantis's and this that integrity and and he was countering like a donald trump super PAC post on twitter that talked about border security and it was like you know they said ron DeSantis had voted against things like the wall even though if the if the other parts of the bills were bad and that's why the House Freedom Caucus guys didn't vote on it, he has those receipts of voting on it. And Pedro's like, this is a pathological lie that the Trump campaign is trying to put out there. So I just went and pulled that leaked ABC video of Ron DeSantis being like, when they're asking him, like Matt Gates and Byron Donalds, when they're coaching him how to run for governor in 2018, and they're like, so what are you going to do to like not piss off the Trump voters? And DeSantis <laughs> is like, yeah, that's a really good point because I have voted against him several times. And I just put the video as like the reply. I was like, then explain this. He literally says he didn't vote for that stuff. Wow. And, and that's just what they're trying to do. The politically uneducated, the people who aren't in it as much as we all are, the people who aren't listening to Steak for Breakfast yet, you should be. 
sharing it with everybody you know, please? Thank you. They get that drive-by headline from somebody like Pedro who's got, he's amassed a large following off the back of MAGA. Now he's kind of trying to play independent, but we all know he's on the DeSantis team. And hes they're just all proprieting these lies out there, which we have to counter. And Donald Trump has to speak up on once he's on the debates. Listen, we can all but confirm the last day of May is the red line for Donald Trump not being able to come on Twitter. I didn't think I'd say it. You'll hear somebody joke about it on our... What do you mean? Is bands timing out or... Only Stakes episode of Pulse Plus. Only Stakes. Coming out this Sunday. But Donald Trump's fiduciary liability is over regarding True Social on June 1st. Mm. Okay. So prepare for the comeback. Um, Everybody likes a good comeback story. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll hold former deputy director of the... DNI Cash Patel's feet to the fire on this one a little bit later in the show today. We've got Jim Nails coming up into this segment. But uh, let, let's hear a portion of this Twitter space debacle before we, we move on and get to commentary. I am running for president of the United States to lead our great American comeback. Look, we know our country's going in the wrong direction. We see it with our eyes and we feel it in our bones. Our southern borders collapse. Drugs are pouring into the country. Our cities are being hollowed out by spiking crime. The federal government's making it harder for the average family to make ends meet and to attain and maintain a middle-class lifestyle. And our president, well, he lacks vigor, flounders in the face of our nation's challenges, and he takes his cues from the woke mob. I don't think it has to be this way. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. And we should choose a new direction, a path that will lead to American revitalization. We must restore sanity to our nation. This means embracing fiscal and economic sanity. Stop pricing hardworking Americans out of a good standard of living through inflationary borrow, print, and spending policy. Well, to me, it sounded like a robocall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to say. I don't even know if he was legitimately talking because there was no video component to that. I don't know if they just played a pre-recorded thing and then he would get into you know talking about it afterwards but that went on for about seven minutes and just uh-huh. just in the first couple you know 30 40 seconds you hear almost the exact same carbon copy of the campaign release video which i understand is gonna be part of the platform so that's not too bad um but but i i'm thinking in my head as he's hitting a point i'm hearing the way donald trump just says it a different way uh you know like our country's in decline that's one of donald trump's catch lines it's now played to music at the end of his rallies, the sombering music that he plays right before he gets into the make everything great again. And, and you know, it's just one of those things, like I said, couldn't have been more disastrous. And, and you really have to just kind of, you know, 100,000 foot view this whole thing is like they have had a long two years. Everyone's going to say, oh, six, seven months to prepare. Don't listen to that bullshit narrative. No. The minute Donald Trump did not reclaim the White House in 2020, Ron DeSantis was meeting with Ron Lauder. He was meeting with Ken Griffin, Paul Singer, and everyone else who's connected to this campaign. Um, And they were plotting to take out Donald Trump and and hope that, you know, all of the things that have happened to Donald Trump lawfare-wise since he's got out of office is really going to be like a millstone around his neck. It hasn't. A poll came out today. I believe it was from Emerson. uh, Battleground State, top five primary state, South Carolina, where Ron DeSantis is, I think, making three or four stops this weekend. 
Donald Trump's up 25 points and like six points from the last poll, and that's just over the course of the last two days. So yeah. the campaign kickoff bump did not happen. Uh, they said he raised like an astronomical amount of money, like between eight and ten million dollars, a million in the first hour, and then eight and ten million dollars over the course of the last three days. Well, he had a billionaire donor breakfast lunch the day after his Twitter Spaces launch, and I believe that's where anywhere from four to six million dollars of that campaign money came from. Uh, the Never Back Down Super PAC page on Twitter just hit ten thousand followers today. It's been out since the first week of March. Hmm. Where are all these grassroots donations that aren't coming in that they can't really report on because they're not? Uh, that's going to make up, I guess, what would be now the DeSantis base, the Tom Masseys and Chip Roy's of the world and everybody that is their constituents uh, who are going to buy into what their politicians are selling now is going to make up the Ron DeSantis base, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of what we heard. We heard a robocall as far as Ron DeSantis kicking this off. Tim Pool. And the gang, I believe they were live streaming it, weren't really enthusiastic about it either. We're going to get reactions from like the actual print press in just a second, as, as there was an article about that on the nationalpulse.com as well. Uh, the Trump team put out a true social post, which all of the Trump surrogates then shared on Twitter that, that had like the media outlets logo and then the one sentence reaction to how bad it was. Speaking of which, you know, nobody's talking about the southern border anymore. Isn't that weird? Weird. So weird. Oh, it's the problem's gone. Everything, Everything's fine now. Everything's legal. Everything's orderly. There's no problems. Glad you brought that up, Noah, because in the last 72 hours, two agents have been assaulted. 9,000 apprehensions have happened. There's Oops. been over 3,000 <laughs> getaways. Oh. We've interdicted 1,000 pounds of liquid meth, 100 pounds of marijuana, 40 pounds of cocaine, uh, 8 pounds of fentanyl, 5 firearms, interdicted 3 sex offenders, Recovered two people who had outstanding warrants and snagged a gang member. Uh, they also performed 112 rescues over the course of the last 72 hours as well. The brave men and women who serve down along the U.S. southern border. And, uh, yeah, I guess the debt ceiling is more important than that right now. What's the actual number that they're reporting in the media of how many have come into the country, for example, and absconded, like, projection-wise? Getaways is in the millions over the course of the last two-plus years. I'm thinking like 20 plus. I, I mean, I, I would say an accurate number, probably from all the people we've talked to who work in and around the border. It's probably 10 million people have come in and been apprehended. And then you're talking yeah. about probably three to four million gotaways in the last two and a half years, mm. which is yep. more than the number that Democrats claim are even oh, here. Yeah. The 11 million that are here. But they've been saying 11 million for God knows how long. Well, it's, got a, it's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> right? 11. Let's hear what Tim Pool and the gang compared the Ron DeSantis rollout to. It might surprise you because they uh, usually come out of left field with some stuff, but uh, I thought this one was an absolute here regarding the commentary on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something shockingly offensive to all DeSantis' fans. Oh, boy. Joe Biden's got better presence and presentation <laughs> than Ron DeSantis does. <laughs> now, now, hold on there a minute before you freak out. Joe Biden does have a mental affliction, yeah, which gives Joe Biden the making of entertaining. Yeah, it makes when, it entertaining. When, when Biden says, bad calf care, tune out a shot of pressure. Okay, like we get it. That's incomprehensible mumbled garbage. But at the very least, let me, let me, let me play a little bit for you. Sanity to our society, normalcy to our communities, and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation. Now imagine how Joe Biden would deliver that. Yeah. We got to bring some, in, some, some integrity, some, dirty, man. some truth. You gotta be Come walk, on, man. Walking well, the around, thing is, staring uh, off in the corner. I think I mentioned this before. The mm. Yeah. They compared him to Joe Biden. 
as far as uh no they didn't compare him to joe biden they said joe biden was better because even yeah. though joe biden's fucking lying and faking it he's at least sounds believable well yeah he's being himself <laughs> no he's not even being himself he's he's just better at being a fucking fake politician yeah an empty suit who, who can yeah. read a teleprompter sometimes mm. um everybody obviously heard the vast comparisons between donald trump's current and long established campaign platform and uh the trump doctrine as is his legacy from this first term in office and things we have been hearing out of the desantis camp for the last 72 hours i saw a good breakdown of it let's listen to that one as well three years ago we launched the great american comeback tonight i stand before you to share the incredible results I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. Uh I still can't believe he's actually running. For me, I feel like it's like... Political suicide? Yeah, but not just that. I feel like it's a... I don't even know how to say it. I feel like it's a setup for the other side. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... You have a a candidate that is is enough to split the ticket. Right. And it's just going to steal votes away. I mean, obviously, there's only going to be one presidential uh, selected for the Republican Party, but it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's bad. It's so bad for, for DeSantis. I just don't see it happening. It's not one. We've said it in the past and I've said it in the past. It's not his time. He's not going to, he's not going to get the job. No. Let's all be just be we, real. We thought, we thought that. that about Joe Biden too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I talked about those media reactions. Let's hear from some more of mainstream and legacy media outlets. Fox News, much hype presidential announcement, a disaster. Disaster? For Twitter due to technical issues. NBC News, a glass of wine and a laughing crying emoji. Trump team trolls Ron DeSantis launch. Uh, CNN, glitches, echoes, and melting the server crashes DeSantis's campaign launch on Twitter. The New York Times, DeSantis's big moment goes awry with the Twitter meltdown. And uh, the National Pulse, DeSantis' own spokesman's daughter just endorsed Donald Trump while Ron was launching his campaign live. (laughs) Thank you, Kingsley Cortez. She'll be joining us again on the show soon. I talked to her over the weekend, and uh, she's great. So if that snooze fest wasn't sleeper enough. Well, it's he almost set himself up for it because... Did you expect anything less? No, but... We all know this is him. No, but... um, Yes, he's a boring meatball, but... Like, all the mainstream media wants to shit on Twitter. Yeah, that's what they want to do. So that's where you're going to pick to come out. Like if they're not going to make fun of you, they're going to make fun of Twitter. They're going to take any opportunity they can to just speak negatively on anything that happens there. And then if anything goes wrong, like how did you not expect this to be like the most big news thing that they could possibly say right now? Yeah, I don't think a lot of people tied Ron DeSantis playing second fiddle to an obviously bigger, more recognizable international icon as something you really shouldn't do. Like, that Twitter Spaces event would have been an awesome follow-up, even with all its glitches, to like a traditional presidential rollout. Like all the flags, the stages, the family members, the compelling stories, introduce Ron DeSantis, show energy for 10 minutes, and then get off the stage. Yeah, the, right. the rest of that Tim Pool episode, I think I, I listened to almost that whole episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were talking about how it would have been better if, if they'd made it like... You know, like a concert, like there's somebody that warms you up, like yep. the the opening bands or the opening speakers that get everybody fired up. It's like they could have done something like that in a room full of like people that, I mean, people you paid to be there, people that are paid to, to be excited about what's going on, or maybe they actually are excited about go- what's going on, but they could have done this in so many better ways. Yeah, I, 
well, now candidate DeSantis jumped on with Fox News's. You mean DeSantis? Didn't, didn't, didn't Trump Jr. post like disaster? He certainly did. Hashtag disaster. <laughs> Ron DeSantis jumped on with Trey Gowdy following that announcement as his first official interview when, after following his announcement to run for president, they talked about Ukraine, amongst other things. Let's hear this non-answer. All right. You uh, wore the uniform. If you are elected president, you may be the first one in a while uh, to have worn the uniform. How would you address the ongoing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine on day one of a Ron DeSantis presidency? Don't well, well, first, don't I think what well, we need to do as well. a veteran is recognize that our, our military uh, has become politicized. Uh, you talk about gender ideology. You talk about things like global warming that they're somehow concerned. And that's not the military that I served in. We need to return our military uh, to focusing on uh, commitment, focusing on the core values and the core mission. That would be something that I could take care of on day one. Uh, there'll be a new sheriff in town as commander-in-chief, and I think you'll see recruiting start to get back to where it needs to be because people don't want to join a woke military, and I think it's been really, really problematic. Look, in terms of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, um, you know, I'd like to see a, a settlement of this. I do not want to see a wider war. I think it's completely unknowable what it will look like in January of 2025, uh, but I would not want to see the United States with our troops uh, get enmeshed uh, in a war in Russia or in Ukraine. So not an answer. Yeah. Where's the answer? answer. And talked about defeating wokeism. Um, Someone who pulls no punches. We know him well. He's also going to be joining us for our bonus edition of the show. Our pulse plus exclusive content, which will be airing this Sunday. The editor in chief of the national pulse, Raheem Kassam weighed in directly following uh, the DeSantis launch failure to, Starlink couldn't even save it. Mm. I just want to remind everybody before we jump into Raheem's commentary right here, wherever you're listening today across every downloadable podcasting platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or iHeart, make sure you subscribe to the show. Rate it, please. Five stars. Leave a review. If we get an absolute here, we'll read it on the show. Then follow us on all social medias. And, of course, find our new landing page at thenationalpulse.com forward slash Steak for Breakfast podcast. All right, let's hear Raheem. As, as You know he's getting ready to jump into this and, and, and how you could only figure he was going to weigh in on this absolute failure of a presidential campaign kickoff here uh, as he jumped in the war room. Right. And that's and that's all well and good. People, you know, a lot of people still out there think, oh, you know, he might be good for free speech, even though he just hired as a CEO, Linda Yaccarino, the World Economic Forum executive who is outwardly said in recent months that she believes in censorship of quote unquote hate speech. That's who he picked uh, to run Twitter now. But then you look at the other people, right? You just said David Sachs. Now, David Sachs, yeah, Hillary Clinton donor, Mitt Romney donor. It sends all the wrong messages. And then you've got Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin, another one of these guys pouring money into the back of uh, uh, Democrats and establishment Republicans for so very long. And then, of course, finally it culminates with the man himself. He goes to pay homage still to Rupert Murdoch over at Paul Ryan's Fox News. Right. And we'll talk about that in a second. Paul Ryan and Fox News. Put that put that bookmark on that in your mind for a second. Because he still believes, despite how they treated Tucker, despite how they treat Donald Trump, despite how they talk down to the MAGA audience, that Ron DeSantis still believes that his voters are in that remaining Fox audience. So what does that tell you about who he thinks his voters are? He thinks and knows that his voters are the types of people 
who watch Karl Rove get a pen and paper out and take things down because they still, for whatever reason, uh, believe of the corporate establishment on you know the notional right. But what's really interesting to me is that Never Back Down, which was Ron DeSantis' shadow campaign pack, always hype this pollster called Public Opinion Strategies, the run out of Virginia. POS for short, you can't make it up. But POS just got bought by a, a place called GP3, and GP3 in turn has just had investment from Seidler. Seidler is where Paul Ryan and Paul Ryan's brother are on the board, and the place is run by a Soros executive. Used to directly work for a Soros telecoms company as the head of the organization just a few years ago. Listen, if this all doesn't tell you, the evidence is there if you want to see it. If this doesn't all tell you who is behind this campaign and why they want him to win, then then I'm afraid you might as well be watching Paul Ryan's Fox. Hmm. Very well said, Raheem. Well, no one can bring it. Listen, for as much sleep as Raheem Kassam hasn't gotten this week, again, that's a little t- teaser for our uh, members-only content on the Pulse Plus episode, uh, you, you just have to take into consideration here, like, the the facts are out there if you're willing to go and look for them. Um, right. and, and, and listen, all politicians lie. Ron DeSantis was quick to do the same. He jumped on following a lot of commentary that was exactly uh, worded like Raheem Kassam's that came out over the course of the last couple of days. Everyone's going to find the receipts on who you're connected to now. I mean, he just gave you like a, you know, 10-person chain, which leads back to eventually George Soros. Uh, and it involves Paul Ryan and Carl Rove and all the other uh, international billionaire donor class members who are supporting Ron DeSantis in an attempt to take out Donald Trump right now. He was asked about this stuff on Eric Bowling's show yesterday. Let's hear it. Well, I can tell you this, Eric. I have not spoken to Paul Ryan since I've been governor. I've met Karl Rove once in my life. They are not involved in my political operation. So that's just manufactured garbage that people put out there online. So if people are telling you that, you know, I'd hope that they'll uh, they'll look at the facts rather than do that. You also look at my record. How many? Oh, we don't need to hear any more about his record because we all know that's a lot of uh, pre-manufactured paper tiger stuff as well. You know, Raheem Kassam and the guys over at the National Pulse have produced an article over the last 24 hours that shows uh, essentially that the radical DA who Ron DeSantis supposedly fired, the guy's in court right now, not only filing civilly but legally to get his job back and, and the big nothing burger that the Disney things turned out to because it doesn't matter how much wokeness you want to fight when it comes to taking on uh, the House of Mouse and the Magic Kingdom. Whatever mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis wins in court against Disney changes nothing with the way that the shows are written and the way the animation's done. So if they want to continue to be woke and creepy, like Ron DeSantis is not going to be able to change that at Disney. Uh-huh. Uh, he doesn't have any legitimate governance over their IP. So we're, we're still going to get weird animated videos of like you know teenage boys kissing each other and stuff moving forward and and that's just the way disney wants to kind of operate so and and we're going to get a very uh diverse demographic of different lead characters for historic characters that look nothing like the original versions of it so you know that's just kind of where we're at with this and uh you know we need to take into consideration as they're trying to drop a, a new version of ron DeSantis, who isn't the reality version of ron DeSantis, over the course of the next year and a half we have to be ready to take him to task Bitter Fox News, former show host, and uh, current Fox News celebrator of their failed ratings. Megan Kelly weighed in on Ron DeSantis. She kind of plays middle of the road. I feel like she's leaning MAGA. Let's hear her. What came next was boring, cringy, and downright uncomfortable. Some diehard DeSantis fans, virtually all of whom I knew and liked, and advisors asking 
softball questions that felt almost Pravda-esque in their obsequiousness. There was no spice. There was nothing challenging. And there was nothing newsworthy. Nothing to grab headlines the next day. I wrote a sentence to my team I didn't think I would ever write. I miss journalists. I thought she was That's how say I Trump. felt watching mm. this. Somebody who would challenge him a little, bring the heat a little. Perhaps the worst offense was that through all of this, I didn't laugh or connect with the candidate even once. And this is a guy whose policies, most of them anyway, I support. He didn't crack a joke at his own expense. He didn't say something that touched me about America or the troubles we're going through. He didn't even tap into the righteous anger so many of us are feeling that has inspired many of his policies in Florida. Maybe he doesn't have that gene. Maybe he's just a pen and paper guy who will pass the right legislation. And that's enough of a blessing. But he is up against a man whose voters love him, Mm -hmm. who is up over DeSantis right now by anywhere from 30 to 45 points and who has the advantage of already having been a sitting president. I don't have any problem with her argument. I wish she would have said Trump instead of journalists, but she does miss Trump for sure. And you know what? I always, I had a feeling because I did not, I didn't hate her. I, I, you know, I appreciated like, you know, the way she was and stuff because that's, she was an actual journalist that was pushing, you know, boundaries and whatnot, even though there were times I wanted to fucking wring her neck, but still, um, Definitely. I, I knew she was going to come to this side. She's definitely MAGA, leaning MAGA big time. You can feel it. Well, I, I think she's smart enough to know she's been in the corporate world for so long. And she mm-hmm. was literally, they used and abused her for everything that she was worth, which is a, a, a strong voice in, in most part. And she did provide, you know, I, I'm very uh, guest driven to her shows as I am with a lot of podcasts that I use for like material on this one. I want to hear what somebody has to say. Sometimes she gets into like those pulling the heart she had dan bongino on this week and you know he's going through stuff again health wise and he had just walked away from fox because oh i didn't know that yeah he's basically outgrown the role they want him to do some weekend show he's doing like nationally syndicated five days a week the stuff that she talked to him about was just very personal and i like to hear people you know how he's very boomerish on fox news on his weekend show he comes on he yells and screams and like hits the desk and talks about destroying everything that's bad and loving everything i like to hear the person just like it feels like you're drinking a beer with them. And sometimes she can get that out of people. But she's so obsessed with the failure of Fox. It's what she leads in with every single one of her shows now for the last, like, since Tucker Carlson went. So I really can't, I can't, I can't listen to that every day. And, no, uh, but I mean, you can't blame her, though, because they literally used and abused her, like you said, yeah. and they threw her away like a piece of shit. So. Well, as you're getting ready to key up with Jim Knowles right now, I got a good one for you. We've heard from just about everyone who's attached to the Ron DeSantis campaign, starting with his awful, I guess, pseudo-campaign cabinet that he set up, the international billionaire donor class and, and, and multimedia moguls who are with him as well, and Carl Rove and Paul Ryan, leading all the way back to George Soros. We're missing somebody that everybody likes to posterize Ron DeSantis on, and that would be Jeb Bush. Where's Jeb? <laughs> We all know he's hiding in the background. We already referenced Tim Pool once on the show, and now Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer, my new text buddy, Texas Congressman Wesley Hunt. Ooh. Yeah, who'll be joining us again next week. We had a good time with him, but I feel like we just started to peel back about how based uh, Wesley Hunt did. He did identify his pronouns were Apache attack helicopter, but (laughs) I didn't think he was going to be able to jump into such a 
let's make America great again for Reels' role as fast as he has. And I have to tell you, with with the bad pun intended, warp speed way that some of these freshman congressmen, I'm talking about Eli Crane, I'm talking about Wesley Hunt, have absolutely just been able to get up to speed and, and meet the needs of the roles that they are have been elected to, essentially, is, uh, you know, really important for the movement across the country. Uh, Wesley was on Tim Pool for that DeSantis kickoff launch episode and provided some Jeb Bush reference commentary on it. Let's hear it. Jeb out. Yes, and that's actually my call. I think he's getting ready to flame out like we just saw yesterday. Jeb out. He's going. He's going to jeb out. Yeah. You know, real quick, and this is this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. That's really important to me, and that's and that's loyalty. So President Trump has endorsed me the last two cycles, and so when he came out and announced back in November, I was literally he finished like the last syllable. We endorsed him immediately because it's really important to me. He helped to get me here. Ron DeSantis would not be the governor of Florida if not for Donald Trump. And so what I'm seeing here is a level of disloyalty that I think he's going to pay for ultimately. And that's just not how you treat someone that got you this far. He's 44 years old. He's the governor of the free state of Florida. And by the way, from what I could tell, he's done a pretty good job at it. Yeah. Just being loyal to the person that got you here in the first place. And then you could be the heir apparent for the future. But my fear is that he is being talked into doing this by a lot of other people that are going to make a lot of money. And based on what we saw yesterday, we were kind of talking about it before the show, how he looks like a hostage patient right now. He looks like he's being held hostage to do this. And I think there are a lot of people in Florida that, that simply want him to stay in Florida and be the governor and do the job that they elected him to do. Yeah, this is something that brought up uh, was brought up as we're setting everything up. Well, he's not going to win He's not going to win Florida. Said, yeah, he's like, not going to. Exactly how it looks like. Like he's a hostage because of all these special interests that have him by the balls. It's like, geez. Including you know, including so, his wife. Yeah. Who wants this life? She wants the Jackie O. She wants to, yeah. she wants to be. Man, but. we're just bad punning it up mm. uh, in this first <laughs> segment. She wants to be the Disney princess and wear the. Wear the yeah, but she's already a princess. You know, it's like. Yeah, go be the princess of Florida, which is like a real bad knock at hillbillies. It, it'll come, <laughs> like you said, when it's the right time, basically. And like we said in the past, before he actually announced, it's like, oof. And, and do do yourselves a favor for everybody in the listenership saying like, oh, that loyalty thing is just a, like, I hate when people put words in Donald Trump's mouth like that. I think the 45th president of the United States was, was lying when he talked about loyalty, meaning everything to him. Let's hear him before we jump in with Jim. Angry, Mr. President, that Ron DeSantis entered the race. No, I think he's a very disloyal person because he was dead. He was looking for jobs, and uh, <laughs> I endorsed him. And he went up many points. He was 30 points down, at least, maybe more than that. He was dead. Uh, so I think he's very disloyal, but I don't care. Look, he's got no personality. If you don't have personality, politics is a very hard business. And that's Donald Trump on the links yesterday as he was uh, a participant in the Live Pro-Am heading into the weekend where they're going to have a big event down in uh, Florida. So... Listen, a lot of podcasts dedicated the entirety of their shows to the Ron DeSantis kickoff. I really feel like we could get it done in one segment or less. I think we did an absolute best job we could to clean up the disaster that they left for us on the launch pad the other day. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, when you hear from all around the political spectrum, the way everybody's kind of feeling the same way about it, it's going to be real interesting to see what Ron DeSantis does on how he shows up in Iowa, in South Carolina, and all the other states he's going to be in this weekend, which we'll be tracking and providing receipts for on our Tuesday edition of the show. Uh, we're about to jump in with the supply chain expert, Jim Nels, great contributor over at the National Pulse as well. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. 
I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's an economist and supply chain expert. He's dropping editorials everywhere from the Daily Wire and the National Pulse to commentating here on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Jim Nels, welcome back to the show. Governor DeSantis and, and Elon, is that you? I've been on hold here on this Twitter Spaces thing for like 48 hours, and I really need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, we just finished talking about the failure to launch, as was the DeSantis kickoff. We had 20-plus minutes of... Uh, Technical difficulties, to say the least. Uh, not even Starlink could save them. Mm. And uh, it's gotten so bad, Jim, to this point that we're hearing that the DeSantis campaign is saying that they're really going to roll out his presidential campaign for reals this time in Iowa this weekend. And that the thing with Elon Musk was, it was not, a joke. wasn't the official official. It was a oh. soft launch. It was a soft so. launch, yes. Just like a restaurant that fails on its first week of, uh, of operations. But... It is amazing. The, the only thing that I'm surprised is that Donald Trump hasn't taken credit for the fact that it didn't work. Can't you just picture him sitting up there saying, if only he had done this on Truth Social, it would have been fine. Everything would have been fine. <laughs> it's just really funny that it, it happened that way. I, I don't know why someone who's supposed to be super smart would, would try an unproven technology in order to do something like this. Uh, I think he thought he was going to get Tucker Carlson-like numbers. And the numbers that crashed the Twitter space was like 600,000 people, which is a rounding error even for Fox News anymore. Sure, and it was only like 260,000 that were actually in when he was given like the meat and potatoes portion of his kickoff campaign. So I mean, And they, it, were, they were claiming that it was like, and this might be the biggest uh, group of people assembled on the internet ever. Yes. And yes, it's like, right. I think there's been more for like video game uh, groups or some stuff like that. Well, well, that's funny. No, no. Video gaming groups actually gets like Super Bowl like numbers. It's yeah. crazy, but that's the story for a different day. the The other thing that I thought was funny is if you went and watched his interview with Trey Gowdy after this happened, Gowdy almost looks disinterested in the whole thing. He's leaning backwards, his crooked nose running all over his face, his hair all over the place. It was uh it was a really just lackadaisical. So, um, the the whole campaign of of DeSantis just isn't ready. Kind of fulfilled itself during his his launch the other day. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody pointed out. I think Sony actually tagged Elon Musk and said that they ran a live stream of a video game launch during the same time on YouTube and had almost a million. I know it was well over seven hundred thousand viewers without any crashes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Elon Musk's BBC interview had over. 3.3 million people watching it concurrently. So I don't think it was the biggest launch in the history of anything. It was definitely a new way people kind of, you know, kick off their campaigns. Robert Kennedy did the exact same thing without Elon Musk and, and looks to be doing one with Elon Musk soon. But when you talk about just the bare bones of it, uh, what you, the presentation, man, you know, we, we've had 
Donald Trump set up some of the nicest backdrops, whether at Mar-a-Lago or, or how they do the stage and like the wheel in with the plane and him coming off to the music for so long, all the way back to the golden escalator. We are spoiled when people fail to at least meet the challenge of someone who supposedly is the answer uh, to replace Donald Trump in, in, in the future. So I, I think it was a big, big miss. And, uh, I know the donors weren't happy the next day uh, when they had that breakfast. There were reports that they, they had you know, raised some major concerns regarding the kickoff, probably why they want to refocus on Iowa this weekend. And in addition to that, they asked some policy-driven questions, and the DeSantis team wasn't ready to give those official answers yet, which is one of the things that we missed. You know, Donald Trump's presidential kickoff was over two hours, and uh, he laid out a lot of not only his accomplishments, but where those accomplishments go from here as part of Agenda 47. And, you know, just about all the candidates have failed to kind of produce anything because they don't want to either be copying Donald Trump or just be a different version, which would be considered not America first. So they're in a tough spot, but, uh, I mean, overall, Jim, do you think it was a resounding flop it was a big flop um you know you, you could take the other side that perhaps it was evil genius that any publicity is good publicity and everyone's talking about what a flop it was but i don't buy that for a second especially when you compare them to trump i guess my my major question is does this mean we're going to see steve cortez defect to another camp maybe go over to uh, tim scott's camp or uh jump in with uh somebody else because he seems to jump around whenever he thinks a candidate's in trouble yeah, I just don't understand it. And then you had Kingsley Cortez, his daughter, who's going to be joining us on the show here soon. Uh, she endorsed Trump while Ron DeSantis was announcing his candidacy to run for president. And then, you know, I took a screenshot of before and after the uh, Twitter Spaces event of the Never Back Down Super PAC. And the funny thing is, is that today, which is Friday, they just made it to 10,000, even though they've been in operation since the beginning of March of this year, followers. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they picked up a whopping 536 followers on their, yeah. Good for them. There you go. On their super, but he did, super he did pick account. up a lot of money from donors. I mean, he, I think he did, what, $10.2 million in the first 24 hours, $8.2 million. He set a new record. So, I mean, somebody's throwing money at him. And um, I know it's a lot of it is the donor class, and they will turn on you in a heartbeat if they think that they're going to lose. So we shall see what happens. Yeah, there are a lot of people hypothesizing already that this weekend with like 12 campaign stops across three states, which include Iowa, New Hampshire, and, and South Carolina is kind of make or break a really bad, awkward Ron DeSantis moment could already spell the end as, I mean, there's poll numbers that are coming out today, which are just like May 25 and 26 polling where Donald Trump is still gaining, uh, especially in swing states. We saw one in South Carolina this morning yeah. from last month. He's up 25 points, and, and I think it's plus six uh, since the last one was conducted there. So I guess we're going to kind of have to see that what happens, but it doesn't limit the rest of the field because we also had an announcement from South Carolina Senator Tim Scott this week, and uh, you know, you're putting something together talking about a lot of the negative commentary going around about Senator Scott right now as he's looking to, you know, make a headway in, in, in the presidential nominating process here uh, against the rest of the field. What, what can you tell our listenership some of the angle you're looking at based off of a lot of the negative stuff that was going around from the liberal progressive side of the aisle this week? Well, I, t- I tell you guys, it, it's time that we fought really hard to end black on black racism because it's, it's really a shame what's, what's, what's happening here. You know, I'm not a fan of Tim Scott. You know, I, I like the guy's story. He has an amazing American success story. But, you know, he's too much like George W. Bush or Mitt Romney for me. He's pre-MAGA, and he's not what the country needs. 
But what I don't understand is that instead of attacking his policies and his beliefs, uh, these liberal blacks just attack him personally. Um, this um, so-called journalist from MSNBC named Jahan Jones called Scott a token. Whoopi Goldberg Oof. from The View said that uh, Scott suffers from Clarence Thomas syndrome. And then not to be outdone, Sonny Holston jumped in and said, Scott needs to understand he's the exception, not the rule. Now, listen to this. The fact that two liberal black millionaires were sitting on TV talking about Scott being the exception, not the rule. The irony of that should be lost on no one. Yep. But it's, it's, it's not just Scott. I mean, if you look at it, every time a black conservative dares to leave the Democrat plantation, they're attacked. Clarence Thomas has been attacked since the early 90s when he was up for confirmation. And old, old Slow Joe was the one who led that attack on him. Look at Larry Elder when he ran against Gavin Newsom for governor. They called him the black face of white supremacy. Yep. So this, this type of attack is, is insane. And it's something that I don't understand. Perhaps we need to go find Don Lemon and have him explain it to us, because according to old Don, only black people can understand the motivations of other black people. No, it's it, you know it's wild, and, and we've seen it with just about all all the uh, African American. I mean, people are always hitting up Byron Donalds. Uh, Joy Behar did such a nice commentary on him this week, where he went on Fox Business yesterday and absolutely destroyed her, uh, called her a buffoon amongst other things. The fact of the matter is, is that she's a straight up racist, and I can't believe Whoopi Goldberg sits on the other side of the table than her and lets her attack other African Americans, prominent ones in this country that hold, you know, legitimate positions that the American people put them in, uh, which is important. It's not diversity, equity, and inclusion as far as voting goes yet. You know, people go to the ballot box and place these people in, into office to serve the American public, and. Uh, it's just kind of disgusting. We saw a lot of the same stuff during the midterm election cycle with Herschel Walker. They were questioning his mm -hmm. intelligence and, you know, all the, I mean, the guy was on two different presidentially appointed positions and, and he was a small business owner who, had, you know, really brought prosperity to uh, places in Georgia and did a lot of mental health awareness while working with the military for a large portion of his non-athletic career. So to see this kind of stuff starting already, I can only assume it's going to get worse. But, you know, the thing is, I'm in the same agreement with you. We have to see it end, and we have to have more people, not just people who are in positions of uh, you know, high power and stuff like it, congressmen and women to, who are of African-American descent to call these people out, but we, we need it to come from everywhere, both sides of the aisle, too. There has to be Democrats who have the you know courage to stand up and say, like, I really don't think calling Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy is a, a prudent way to you know, nitpick his uh, policy platform. And, I agree. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where we're just going to have to keep an eye on it and see as the campaign goes on. And if Tim Scott gains any steam, how much harder the the attacks will come. Jim, one thing that's being lost in this whole thing, though, is that if you look at the people running for president, it really shows what the Republican Party looks like today. Right. It's a much more inclusive party than people give it credit for. We've got an African-American running. We've got an Indian-American running. We've got a woman of mixed ancestry running. And then we've got old and we've got young. I mean, it's, it really is starting to represent what America looks like. And the Republicans, unfortunately, get zero credit for that. No, they, they certainly – I mean, this is probably – this is a much more diverse field than it was back in 2016. Obviously, there was no Republican field back in, in 2020. But, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's one of those things that I hope we eventually move on for. This, uh, this 
divisive stuff that really started to heat up during the first Obama uh, term in office has come back to rear its ugly head and is worse than ever under Joe Biden, which is just a continuation of the Obama legacy. So, Jim, in our next segment, we're going to be talking about the battle over the debt ceiling. We've been hearing stuff back and forth from uh, you know Congress throughout the week. We've highlighted it on our last couple of shows because this is important to the American people. We're, we're in the 11th hour right now before the you know supposed deadline of Janet Yellen's and I'm quoting now few days left June 1st or 2nd as she continues to you know be flip floppy with the date but as someone who studies the economy the supply chain and, and, and overall has a pretty good pulse on everything what, what what are you seeing as we head into the weekend we had a lot of the congress people who have come through our show in the last week know they're getting called back up to Capitol Hill after leaving for Memorial Day weekend yeah so you know the, the debt ceiling again is something that I just think is is a big red herring. If you look at the the inflows and outflows of, of government revenue, we bring in more than enough money to cover the, the bills that we have to pay. We can pay the interest on the debt. We can pay things that we have to pay. But then we may be put in a choice like many households are at the end of the month when they've got $100 of bills and $50 left. They have to prioritize what's going to get paid and what's going to get paid when. Um, you're starting to hear some discussions now that they're close to an agreement, but it sounds like McCarthy is caving. So I don't know if the Republicans are going to stick together on this or not. I, I really hope that they stay hard and fast because they really have the advantage right here. And um, I really want them to, to not give an inch here and even start to ask for more. The funny part about this, though, is you know, Joe Biden has decided that he's going to spend the weekend going between Camp David and his beach house in Delaware. Yep. I'm trying to imagine if, if Trump was president while something like this was happening, he decided to take off for Mar-a-Lago. The, the clutching of pearls on the part of the uh, media would be insane. And then the other part is that, you know, the Democrats are bringing out their, their biggest economic and constitutional scholars to talk about this. And yes, I'm talking about Senator John Fetterman who came out and said that the sole purpose for the 14th Amendment to exist is because of the debt ceiling. And it's like, uh, Senator Fetterman, the 14th Amendment was to provide citizenship to slaves and to guarantee equal protection under the law. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you might want to go back and read something or have whoever types your tweets type something different because you're just looking more and more like a buffoon. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he was just busy looking for some new hoodies and board shorts to wear at his next floor speech on the Senate. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, we got that absolute heater from Troy Nels coming in our next segment as uh, I made sure I captured it for the uh, audio portion of the debt ceiling coverage that we're going to be providing here. Jim, you're always working on some new stuff, but in addition to that, you are a veteran, and we're heading into Memorial Day uh, this weekend. You know, you want to just let our listenership know, as we're getting ready to cut with you here and jump into our uh, debt ceiling debate showdown uh, portion of the show, what you got coming down the pike as far as editorials right now, and then what your what are your plans, or maybe what Memorial Day means to you as we head into the weekend? So a couple things. Uh, later tonight on OAN, I'll be on Kara McKinney's Tipping Point, where I do my weekly segment called Everything is Stupid, <laughs> where I look, take a look at the week's headlines and talk about just how stupid life is right now. So if you have a chance, please tune in for that. Um, I'm also working on a pretty big piece uh, that basically talks about is the Biden administration incompetent or is there something more nefarious going on there? Mm. Are they are they trying to destroy America? Because that's what it really feels like, because you can't really put this many incompetent people together at the same time. So hopefully that'll be out next week. Talking about Memorial Day, it, it's interesting. It's a very somber day for, for veterans. It, it, it's not something to be 
celebrated. So veterans typically don't walk around saying, hey, happy Memorial Day. How are you doing, Bob? It, right. it's, it's a time to think about it. And, you know, I had guys that died on my watch. And every, every year Memorial Day, I fire up the grill, uh, put on some ribs, and uh, get out some cheap beer and drink a toast to them. And that's kind of how I spend my Memorial Day. It's typically alone and in thoughtfulness and in prayer for those guys that, that didn't make it. And also being thankful for those that were willing to sacrifice for us. Uh, you know, I think back to the greatest generation and what they did in World War II. Can you imagine being on those amphibious assault ships, getting ready to have that thing lowered, knowing that you were going to get mowed down as soon as you left the protection of that boat? I can't imagine what those guys were thinking. And I can't imagine how pissed they would be if they came back today and saw what this country had become. Oof, to say the least. Um, you know, we've had a couple of congressmen come through this week, and it seems like all of them kind of touched on a lot of the same points with Memorial Day. It's a day of, you know, giving thanks to not yeah. only the people who made the ultimate sacrifice, but their families and, and the ripple effects that that's had on all of those people's communities throughout the years. And even though our country is kind of in a dark place right now as far as, you know, the way it's transitioned from making America great again to, I mean, Joe Biden's steaming hot pile of garbage. Mm. Uh, there is a lot of stuff still to be able uh, to give thanks and praise for, and a lot of that falls on the shoulders of, of not only the people who serve now, but the fallen uh, servicemen and women who have protected this country since its inception. So, Jim, it's always awesome having you on the show. We'll definitely have you back at least once, hopefully twice in June. For anyone that's not following you or wants to check out your work, uh, where can they find you on social media? Find me on social media on Twitter at Jim6555. And then keep an eye out for me at the uh, National Post, the Washington Examiner, and the Daily Wire. Awesome. This is supply chain expert, economist, major contributor to National Pulse. Love when he does some commentary on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Jim Nellis, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend, guys. We don't see any negotiation here. We don't see uh, anything that needs to be discussed. It's pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we believe that Congress has a constitutional duty to get this done. The president's stance on uh, negotiation stance, stands, right, which is he does not believe as it relates to the debt ceiling uh, that we should be negotiating. We've been very clear. We're not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. He never came to the table to negotiate on the debt ceiling. That was not something that occurred. That is not something that's happening. We've been very clear. We're not negotiating negotiating around the debt ceiling. When you think about the debt limit, it is not negotiable. We should not be negotiating on the debt ceiling. There's no negotiation uh, that we will be having. The debt ceiling, it should be done without negotiation. There should be no negotiation. It should be done without conditions. We should not have to negotiate on this. Look, we've been very clear. We're not going to negotiate. We're just not going to negotiate on that. As the president said yesterday, he's happy to meet with Speaker McCarthy but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That is not negotiable, and we have been very clear about this. The president said he's happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. He is not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. Been very clear. That is not going to change. I mean, we've been very clear. Uh, look, uh, there shouldn't be negotiations. This is not negotiable. We are not going to negotiate. There's no negotiating around the debt limit. Hmm. So what she's basically saying, <laughs> she's not going to negotiate. <laughs> what she's trying to say is, this is the reason we're in this spot right now. Uh, we're a few days before we run out of money. We're heading into a holiday weekend. Everyone in Congress is pissed that they're going to get called back on Monday, which is usually a no work day. Mm-hmm. And we've got a few billion bucks in the bank, all because. Joe Biden, who has no mandate, is trying to stonewall the Republicans who were able to pass a debt ceiling bill in the House, even though they said they never would, in the face of the Senate, 
who said they would pass one and it failed. And America is about to default on its debts. We kind of led into this with Jim Nels. As you guys just heard, always awesome catching up with him. And we're going to have, you know, Congressman Max Miller up on the next segment who's working on Capitol Hill today uh, ahead of taking off for the Memorial Day weekend. So we've heard from Speaker McCarthy twice over the last 24 hours. And uh, I'm going to play his clips back to back so you guys can kind of get a feel on. I mean, listen, we're hearing rumors that there's possible concessions being made by the Republicans. Everyone from Donald Trump to the smartest economists out there say he got this bill passed, but nobody said he should. He needs to hold the line. Don't make concessions. Don't allow Joe Biden to contribute to wasteful spending and inflation. This is where we're at. We have to hold strong. If it comes down to a government shutdown, then you could just say, I mean, we played a clip on the show on Tuesday. Nancy Pelosi isn't the superhero we deserve. She's the one we need, right? <laughs> so you got to look at it this way. If, if we wind up shutting the government down over the failure to negotiate the debt ceiling, Speaker McCarthy pulled a play out of Nancy Pelosi's playbook, which is she's supposedly the best speaker to ever walk the face of the earth. So sometimes you just got to ride with it. Yeah, anytime she didn't have the votes, government shut down. Exactly. Every time you wanted to build a wall. Government shutdown. Big government shutdown. Let's hear these clips of, of Speaker McCarthy, and then we'll chat about it real quick. If, a de- if the Democrats control the Senate and they control the White House, and they wouldn't even do a bill and they wouldn't even communicate, I don't think I have to say who's to blame. If the Republicans have passed a bill that raised the debt ceiling, did it in a responsible, sensible way, I think the American public understand that. But first of all, let me tell the American public, I am not going to give up. We're not going to default. We're going to solve this problem. I will stay with it until we can get it done. But let's be honest about this. We have to spend less than we spent last year. It is not my fault that the Democrats cannot give up on their spending. And you would think, if you have the most revenue in the history of coming in, but when the Democrats were in power, they spent the most money. So we have the most expenses going out, the expenditures. It's not It's not a revenue problem, it's a spending problem. And then you have the highest amount of debt. Don't you think that would finally wake them up to be sensible? Now look, I don't want to point things out, but we have a new here with CNN. I just heard on your news station that 60% of Americans believe the debt ceiling should only be raised after you found savings. So to your question, your question, I think we're representing the American public, and that's what we'll continue to do. Look, I apologize. I got, I got to open up the house. I appreciate spending time with you. We'll continue to keep you updated as we go. And I look, I look forward. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was yesterday, and then again this morning, uh, outside the Hall of Congress as he was getting ready to head into the office. Let's hear it. We want to make sure we have an agreement that's worthy of the American public. Remember why we are where we are today. We have more money at any given time coming into America, not just a dollar figure, but by GDP. But when the Democrats took the majority, we are now spending more than at any time in American history, even by a GDP factor. And we owe more than at any time in American history. So it is incumbent of us to get this right, and that's why we're working through it. And it's not easy, but everybody knows the responsibilities. Everybody's very professional in these meetings. And look, I'm, I'm the total optimist. We will get this done. And we will have a better bill because of it. So it doesn't really sound like he's uh, inclined to cave. You heard him say he had to open up the house this week a couple times, too, when when they weren't scheduled to be on the floor. I mean, that's the biggest pain in the ass for us here on Steak for Breakfast is we were set to have Troy Nels join us. And then 
Troy Nels was asked to literally, as he was getting set up in his congressional office, his comms director called the show to confirm like he'll be on in a few minutes. He texts me like right after that. He's like, bro, McCarthy just called him the floor to, to talk about the border components of, uh, you know, the, the bill that passed in the house for, uh, the debt ceiling. And I was like, Hey, do what you gotta do, bro. He's like, we'll catch you next week. He's like, yeah, we'll, we'll lock it down. And we did Troy Nels will be in here on the six now. And, uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the success hopefully that Republicans had in, in holding the line on, on the debt ceiling. You know, a lot of this falls back on the shoulders of, uh, the worst treasury secretary in the history of our planet. Janet Yellen, she, oh, sorry. soon to be the uh, enjoyer of five federal pensions, mm. in, in addition to a couple smaller ones. Um, yeah, she she is a real piece of work, to say the least. And, and you know, her rhetoric on this of non-flexibility and harsh deadlines, uh, her co- contribution to encouraging the sitting president to participate in reckless spending, like, has been going on. It is just like some stuff we've never seen before. She never has answers for anything, and she doesn't take responsibility for the current state of the economy in the United States. And well, really, honestly, like I did not expect her to be this bad, to be fair, because she was never like this before, was she? If I'm missing something, she's just a complete moron. Uh, she's mm-hmm. gone from like one high ranking position overseeing a lot of money that winds up getting completely fucked up to another over the course of her career. And uh, now she's in the highest one in the country. So absolute Chad and America first house representative, Matt Gates, not only oh. showed up on Capitol Hill yesterday in one of his, you know, nicely pressed suits and a MAGA hat. <laughs> did he really? He yeah, was not. He did. And, and he also, you know, tweeted out later in the day that he's subscribed, probably a good place to throw it in here, to the National Pulse Plus. He's become an annual member He'll be able to get our bonus episode of Steak for Breakfast coming out this Sunday, an exclusive with the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam. Got to check it out and sign up at thenationalpulse.com. Also, where you're subscribed to today as far as podcasts go, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Rate it, leave a review, and then across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit the notification bell, please. They caught Matt Gates heading into Congress yesterday and, and, and wanted a quick one-liner in regards to how he really felt about Janet Yellen. Let's hear his response. Absolutely not. There's not some trigger that all of a sudden happens at one moment in time. Everybody's relying on Janet Yellen to tell us this magical day. Um, Show us. Show us the math. I no longer trust, like, the Obi-Wan Kenobi of wrong answers on the economy to be able to tell me when the default occurs. Hilarious. Help us, Janet Yellen. You're our only hope. Mm. Not really. Okay. It, it's getting to the point. I mean, we've seen a lot of bad poll numbers come out in the liberal progressive side of the legacy media. And uh, Joe Biden's current approval rating is sitting at lower than any of Jimmy Carter's lowest <laughs> poll ratings ever. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, but now we're going to reference that poll CNN gave. Kevin McCarthy spoke on it. Talking about just what percentage of Americans want to see this happen. Let's hear it. Well, Jake, our brand new poll conducted by SSRS shows that a majority of Americans, six in 10 Americans, want to raise the debt ceiling only if spending cuts are included as well. So this is the McCarthy point that he's been making all along. Remember, months ago, the White House was in this position of no negotiations. A majority of Americans say, no, you should reduce spending as well as raise the debt ceiling. 24% say raise the debt ceiling no matter what. 
So now you're talking about 84% total want the debt ceiling raised and for the government to continue working. Uh, uh-huh. But 60% said, listen, we're not talking about some minor, 4.5 to $5 trillion in wasteful spending cuts. It, it's not like we're talking about a couple hundred billion, which is astronomical, ridiculous, like Scrooge McDuck money here. But, you know, uh, it, it's it's ridiculous cuts. That the, I, I still have a hard time believing how Republicans got this through. Uh, and for as much as they ideologically have differences on, like, who the leader of the party is or which direction we should go, more nationalist populist or more establishment conservative, this is going to be, like, looked back on, especially if we can get an overwhelming majority of these cuts done as the debt ceilings raised, hopefully next week, as, as one of the biggest hold the lines, I think, in uh, in House history. No, I agree. I agree. Steak for breakfast enjoyer, reoccurring contributor as well, California Congressman Kevin Kiley, was on the House floor yesterday, rebuting probably the biggest retard up on Capitol Hill in the House. So we'll give John Fetterman a pass here. Um, AOC was talking about how important wasteful spending is. (laughs) And uh, listen... And I'm always, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I, I'm always going to say it about Kevin Kiley. There's nothing that happens in Congress throughout forever as long as he holds that seat. It's going to surprise him because he has been fighting back against Gavin Newsom's bullshit in this state for a decade as a state senator, and he has really, really made Gavin Newsom be held accountable for some of the awful legislation and terrible policies and and budget uh, handling, especially. I mean. Just in the last two years here in California, coming out of the pandemic, you go from like a $40 billion surplus in the state budget to a $100 billion deficit in one year. So this raising the debt ceiling thing is nothing new to Congressman Kiley. And let's hear just how he pushed back on uh, one of the squad members on the floor. But they are accusing Democrats of saying we spend too much. For anyone that wants to entertain that thought, I ask you... To think about the last time a person said has said in this country that the government does too much for them. Well, actually, my constituents say that a lot. The government does too much when it overtaxes and overregulates Americans. The government certainly did too much when it shut down schools, shut down businesses, shut down churches, Oof. and imposed unlawful mandates. Mm, yep. The government does too much when it pays people more to not work than to work. The government did too much when it went in a multi-trillion dollar spending spree that even Barack Obama's top economic advisor warned against and gave us this historic inflation crisis. The government does too much when it unleashes 87,000 new IRS agents on unsuspecting American taxpayers. The government does too much when it shuts down the Keystone Pipeline and inhibits our ability to produce energy domestically and make us energy independent. But at the end of the day, we also need to ask, as we've seen the budget just grow and grow and grow without limit, what is the result of all that additional spending been? Do you look around and see beautiful roads and infrastructure? Do you see world-leading schools? Do you see a (laughs) prosperous economy? No, of course not. Listen, California 3 is in good hands, and I like to remind everybody, one of the biggest reasons why, especially out here in California on the West Coast, your kids do not have COVID vaccinations as part of their regular schedule of vaccinations in school is because of Congressman Kevin Kiley. Yep. 
Um, and he is still fighting really just as hard as he did out here in the Golden State as he is right now up on Capitol Hill to make sure this debt ceiling gets uh, put up and put up with the wasteful spending as much as we can taken out of it. So, you know, we're, we're going to touch on this in a little bit with uh, Congressman Max Miller as he's getting ready to join us. But uh, I've got one more clip here, Troy Nels, who, who's with us, I guess, in spirit only today. Listen, I don't care how long it takes for him to get on the show. He's scheduled to come back on June 6th. We're asking him what's up with Yum Yum. And and <laughs> I, I promise by the next show we will have a Yum Yum button. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've talked about it with a couple Congress people and, and some big economists on, on the weaponization, not of the government. We're getting to that in our next news segment, but of the 14th Amendment. Uh, Jim Nels gave a really accurate description on what it was actually, you know, uh, put in there for. And... Troy Nels had a little bit of his own style when pushing back on some of the Democrat Senate members who talked about weaponizing it this week, like John Fetterman. Let's hear what he had to say. Congressman, uh, the senator um, from Pennsylvania, Fetterman, who not I don't know who crafted this tweet, but this is what he said in the tweet. Uh, quote, this is the whole reason why we have the 14th Amendment, why the 14th Amendment exists, and we need to be prepared to use it. We cannot let these reckless Republicans hold the economy hostage. Meanwhile, this guy is holding the Senate hostage. He's, yep. he's barely there. Uh, he's clearly not fit for office. Mentally? Um, <laughs> what do you think the point he's trying to make here? I don't know. When you think about John Fetterman, number one, we need to send him back to middle school. Because if you look at the 14th Amendment, there's five sections. In Section 4, it talks a little bit about public debt. Obviously, the debt we had, uh, we were going through a very difficult time in our country with the Civil War and then Reconstruction. So really, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment really dealt more with civil rights. But there was a small section in there that dealt with public debt. But even Secretary Yellen the other day said this is a constitutional crisis. We always have a crisis in our country, don't we? But Fetterman, if he is the authority for the American people, if he is the authority for this administration, God, God help us all. <laughs> oh my God! I felt like I was listening to uh, Kennedy. Yeah, oh. well, it sounded like you were listening <laughs> to an episode of Steak for Breakfast. He is a mess. Like I just like it's bad. You, I, Either man. <laughs> I can't imagine just be everybody being okay with this. Like. I, I mean, right? has Biden just set the bar so low with abuse of disabled people? Well, yes. I mean, well, like, when you look yeah. at the people who are handling Biden, Ugh. I mean, like it, the people that are hand, handling Fetterman, like, how do they even rationalize that? Diane Feinstein's a South Park episode. She yeah, literally really. is. She really is. And and no, it, I've been here the whole time. Yeah, it's getting bad. And listen, the date that we're running up against here is getting bad too. We're going to continue to track this. To the best of our ability, we're also going to touch on it again with Congressman Matt Miller in just a second. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today is Big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the congressman that's representing Ohio's 7th District, one of our great friends, 
Always happy to have on Representative Max Miller. Thanks for joining us again on the show. Happy to be here as always. Uh, glad to talk to you guys and get some updates and glad you're doing well. Listen, we deal with a lot of congressmen on the show now, and uh, I have to say you're one of the busiest ones. And uh, if we're not catching glimpses of you on Twitter, uh, in committee, you're out in your district doing work. And uh, we're really so thankful that you got into Congress, Max, and, and love the job that you're doing so far. And uh, I think one of the things that's really on our listenership's mind, we've been covering it extensively for the last two weeks, is the uh, debt ceiling battle. Uh, still at a stalemate here. Republicans did the job in the House that they needed to do. Senate Republicans said it was never going to pass. McCarthy got the bill passed. Senate uh, Democrats said that, listen, we're going to pass our own bill. Their bill failed. Now Joe Biden's painted into a corner just throwing out empty rhetoric and, and campaign lines when he comes out there talking about non-negotiations. What are the Republicans in the House doing right now to uh, make sure that the debts get paid and we move past this and on to things that are going to be a little bit more productive for the American people? Yeah, and to be clear, you know, gents, no one wants to default. And, and no Republican has been out there saying that, you know, we really should default on our loans for the first time in our country's history. But you laid it out and Republicans came together. And that's something Joe Biden never thought was possible, that we would come together and pass a budget unified is the way that we did. And it threw him for a loop. And this guy is not negotiating on pretty much anything from what I see. And what we're currently doing to hold that line is we're doing just that. We are on point and on target with our messaging. The American people are behind us when they see that we're spending too much. And I hope that Speaker McCarthy takes this to the final brink and pushes Joe Biden. Joe Biden has no other option but to negotiate with us. This guy ran as a unifier, right? He said, I'm going to bring this country together. Mm-hmm. What one thing has this old man done that's been unifying for the American people, regardless of political affiliation for a second? can't name one thing I other think, than to promote divisiveness mm-hmm. and destruction to our country. I think everybody was rooting for him to fall down the stairs that last time, though. Oh, at the G7 yeah. last weekend? Yeah. He also did give F-16s to Ukraine, so that <laughs> I'm sure that benefits the American people. Oh, and they found $3 billion more billion at the Department of Defense last week to give to Ukraine as well. So, yeah, it's just it's just crazy, Congressman. You know, we kind of look at this whole thing. We actually played a couple of clips on the show. Senator Van Hollen, Democrat senator, uh, he did, like, some of the Sunday morning news circuit last week and went around talking about, you know, invoking the 14th Amendment. It's well within Joe Biden's constitutional right. And if if House Republicans aren't willing to work with him, negotiate, and essentially bend the knee after they've already notched a victory, then that's probably what's going to happen. Janet Yellen keeps doing all these scare tactics. Oh, we've got six days left, five days left. I don't know if we could make it to the end of the week. But then we played a clip from 2011 where the White House press secretary at the time for the uh, Obama-Biden administration basically said the exact same thing about the 14th Amendment in reverse, that the president did not have the right to invoke it. It should not be applied when talking about things like raising the debt ceiling and stuff like that. So it's kind of just like a circular process right now. But do you think at the end of the day, and by the time we get to around June 1st, Joe Biden is going to have to bend the knee? Yeah, and I think we're going to get called back once we're out of session tomorrow. And I think we're <laughs> going to get a call around Monday, on Memorial Day, and say, hey, uh, you know, guys and gals, we're going to be back in D.C. and we're going to vote on this. And I think that's what's going to happen. But this is what Joe Biden does. The theme of his administration is government overreach. He has weaponized every department and agency within the federal government to go ahead and to do whatever he wants because he's everything they told you Donald Trump was going to be. Right. Yeah. Right. But he's actually the guy. He's the dictator. Right. He's great. I'm going to use the 14th Amendment because 
I don't want to work with Republicans. I don't feel like it. It's my way or the highway. I mean, this is where we are within our country. This man continuously empowers ridiculous woke people who are running our government, like Merrick Garland and you know Alejandro Mayorkas, who has just ravaged our southern border. And we are here to hold these people accountable. And that's why, on a couple of other things, not to go off on tangents, but we passed a border package in the House, H.R. 2. We haven't done that since the early 90s. Yep. We passed a budget, which, once again, Biden thought we would never do. We are unified. And I'm look... I am proud of what Speaker McCarthy has done. I think a lot of people had questions about his tact in the beginning, you know, standing up there 15 times to support him. And I think at the end of the day, we've ended up with uh, what it looks like a real leader, something that Joe Biden isn't and will never be for this country and the American people. And so we're setting the precedent to hold these individuals accountable and to actually a crazy thought take care of every individual within this country. And that is a right that we have bestowed upon us that we need to follow through with in the absence of, an, in my opinion, an absent cognizant commander in chief. No, I mean, that's hitting the nail on the head right there, Congressman. You know, you, you highlighted a couple of different things in regards to the budget there that are all extremely important, including Joe Biden eventually having to make concessions for this to work. And then you talk about all the great work in the House. I think there was a lot of people who were skeptical of Kevin McCarthy, and that's just based off of his track record, a congressman who he aligned himself with in, in, in sessions past. But, you know, we always refer to here on the show, and sometimes I'll be honest with you, during the uh, midterm election cycle in 2022, we groaningly went through some of the portions of our interviews with Congress, well, former Congressman Devin Nunes, whose interviews are always fire on the show. We're not saying it's not. But he talked about his longstanding relationship and friendship with Kevin McCarthy, and he said, Deep down, he knew this guy had America first interests at heart, that he would be able to shift gears uh, with kind of the way Congress was shaping, because Congress has changed. There, there are a lot less moderates. There are a lot more America first congressmen in there. And it's not about being a radical or, or ripping open your shirt and having like a MAGA hat uh, T-shirt on underneath it or anything like that. It's just about putting America first when it comes to things that are like really hurting right now. You talk about the economy, you talk about education, you reference the southern border, which we're going to touch on in a second. And Kevin McCarthy has been able to really harness some of that power off of the new kind of you know, uh, personality demographics of the Republican House and, and, and run with it in this session right here. And and like you said, I think he's done a great job. I've seen Congressman Matt Gates, who is a huge, uh, you know, very skeptical of him going in. The New York Post tried to do a hit piece on him, like, oh, watch, they're going to try to start pulling the speakership away from him now. And Matt Gates went on his Twitter and he was like, why would I do that? He passed more stuff now than we've passed in like the last six years. And we've only yeah. been doing it for less than one. So, he, he you know, a lot of good credit where credit is due there. Um, you did talk about HR two. We have a lot of congressmen, uh, on the show who either have weighed in hard on it, like Congressman Mike Collins, who was with us earlier this week, or ones that actually had their hands on it. Uh, representative Troy Nels was on with us recently, uh, Congressman Wesley Hunt and, uh, Corey Mills. This is probably one of the most comprehensive border safety protection and gets the things done so we could start to have the conversation about immigration reform bills ever in the history of the United States. Based on the absolute disaster that's going on down there right now, what are you guys looking to to try and continue on pushing this through, especially when you have all these, I mean, you got Tester, Manchin, and Cinema who are on the hot seat right now, maybe using that to your guys' advantage to get some legislation passed back end of the this year heading into next and getting that border safe and secure again. Yeah, and I think that comes down to making it real to the American people. And what I mean by that is, 130 people in Cuyahoga County, an area that I represent more than half of, died of fentanyl overdose. 130 people in just a month. 
that is making it real. People, you know, they sit in a lot of them in ivory towers. They neglect what's going on in terms of the drug trafficking, the human trafficking that's coming across our southern border. And I said it all the time that Ohio is a border state and my opponent would make fun of me. But it's not funny when 130 people and one out of you know four counties that I represent have OD'd and died because, in my opinion, they're essentially murdered by being hooked on these dangerous drugs by the cartels and the Chinese shipping those synthetic materials to Mexico right. and then bringing them over. We need to make it real to the American people and show them that, you know, in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars that went on uh, for a very long time, as we know, 23, 24 years, a little less, you know, one too many lives passed away sure. and were killed in action. So let's say, and I'm speculating, I don't know the numbers, but say 30 to 40,000. Well, our adversaries have realized that they can kill us from the inside out without competing with us on a battlefield. And that is the most concerning thing about what is going on. And we have a president who just doesn't seem to care or want to address it, who continues to have an open border to let people in. And we're not even vetting him. And anyone who works down there knows exactly what is going on because they see it firsthand. You know, they caught an Afghan terrorist a, a week ago or two weeks ago. How did that guy get there? Who paid for his plane ticket? And why did he want to come to the United States of America? And that's one individual that we know about. And so that's incredibly concerning. So we have to make it real to the American people, show the disastrous policies that Biden's implemented that are also hurting crime and public safety. We have all these individuals going throughout our country. We have no idea where they're going. For the most part, a lot of them, from what I've seen, uh, you know, don't have worker permits and are going to be wrought with tax fraud within this country as they try to make a living here. Yep. It is incredibly upsetting. And we have to continue to be loud and continue to hold our ground and not get bullied in dropping this because- Blood will be on the Democrats' hands if they don't support that border package. Yeah, I think them taking victory laps over the course of the last week and a half because, let's just say, tens of thousands of people aren't literally and forcefully rushing the border is probably one of the most disgusting takes I've ever seen the Democrat part of Congress ever take in my history of following politics. And, you know, I'm in my mid-40s right now, so I've seen quite a few crazy things. And when you break it down, I mean, you say it right there. Joe Biden gives China a free pass and everything. And the, the way the cartels are able to operate freely amongst the border, who know, you talk about the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are just getaways. And the fact that, that you know, uh, Border Patrol was able to interdict one major terrorist and, and just happened to run into him when he was sneaking in. It, it It's really mind-blowing. And I think the American people are starting to see it. When you have, you know... Muriel Bowser and Eric Adams going on around the Sunday morning news circuit and saying like, okay, these people aren't asylum seekers. All they want is food and a place to live and money. And they don't belong in New York city. After these people champion sanctuary cities for so long, you have to understand that, that the American people are really starting to feel it. If, if these most radical progressive liberal mayors across the country and even some governors like Kathy Holcher are saying like, dude, we're appropriating billions of dollars for these migrants. Now we can't do this anymore. Oops. Yeah, yeah when, well, you, when you get what you want and it doesn't work out, it's like, you know, when you wanted socialism and then well, here you go. But they told us they were all doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Yeah. I hate when that yeah. happens. They're, they're, they're literally a bunch of phonies. They're all the same, right? They promote this policy, and then when it actually becomes real to them and it hits their cities or it hits the country, no, they don't want it. They want everyone out. They want them to be, you know, go wherever, but as long as it's not New York City. You know, Lori Lightfoot, mm. when she mayor and she was a terrible mayor yeah. but there was one thing that she said that i actually respect and it's not because i agree with the policy but she said look if migrants are being bused here from texas or wherever we will take them we are a sanctuary city 
She was the only mayor that I ever saw say that and acknowledged and actually encouraged that type of behavior because she realized the letter of the law of what's been implemented in Chicago. The rest of them are all phonies and she's awful. And that's why she, you know, now there's a crazier person in there. I digress. <laughs> but at least she held, at least she stuck to her guns and that I can respect. But they're prioritizing illegal immigrants yeah. over Americans. We have a homeless individuals on the streets with mental health issues that we should be at least be assisting and taking care of. We have homeless veterans on the streets that we should be taking care of. We have Americans who are hurting every single day because of this economy and our loss of energy independence in the southern border. It's mind blowing that, you know, we are prioritizing illegal immigrants over Americans. And that's why I'm an America first congressman an America first candidate for Congress again. And that's why our entire entire agenda in Congress is literally Trump's agenda. It's yep. the America first agenda that Kevin McCarthy has brought to the table. And that's how we're going to continue to act. No, and that's how you guys have acted since the start of Congress when it's kicked off in January. I think it was really funny. You talk about the the sanctuary city status of places like Chicago. We covered on the show not too long ago. They had talked about busing a lot of these migrants who had been dropped off in like the city portion of Chicago to the suburbs and housing them in some school gyms and stuff. The town hall meetings they had there, Congressman, when you see people who live on the outskirts of Chicago uh, filling up high school gyms and holding up build that wall sign <laughs> and we need Trump back, it's just like, I couldn't, wow. yeah, I couldn't believe it was happening. And, and these people are like, oh no, we could totally take care of them. They're like, not in my kid's school gym, you're not. So it, it, it was really interesting to see how the people are really being, they are really feeling the sting of this right now. And uh, hopefully it's something that the Republican House continues to provide leadership on as it's been the only people that's done anything to want to fix the disaster down there in the U.S. southern border since the start of Congress back in January. And at least for me, I am all about impeaching my orcas. Yes. We have a lot of colleagues who aren't. I am. Uh, you know, if that piece of legislation hit the floor, I'd be happy to co-sponsor and move it forward. But there are some individuals who aren't on board with that, which blows my mind. Mm -hmm. But look, they impeached our, you know, President Donald J. Trump over nothing mm -hmm. twice. And now we have the Durham report. Mayorkas has real blood on his hands by neglecting every American's safety in our country. Yep. I think there is plenty of ground for him to be impeached and to be removed from his office as a secretary of DHS. Mm -hmm. He should have been gone a long time ago. And this is one of my frustrations here is why, you know, I don't even have the answer to this other than maybe some friends of mine who I, I, I love very much and interact with just won't take that stance. And, and, and to me, it disgusts me because this man should not be the secretary of DHS. He should be impeached and he should be removed. Yeah, I mean, you give us that receipt now. We've also heard Congressman Jordan, Congressman Co uh, Comer, Matt Gates go, go on cable news all the time and say, yeah, we'd love to impeach him. We just don't have the votes. You guys figure it out because we sure can. Um, Congressman, mm -hmm. the last thing I want to touch with you on, I, I think it's pretty huge. It definitely means something to you. You mentioned military service uh, throughout the course of this interview. We're heading into Memorial Day this weekend. Uh, I know that's something that's near and dear to you. How do you want to let our listenership know that you're going to be you know, honoring those who uh, served bravely in, in the armed services throughout the course of this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to be going to a couple of events, but the one to me, and they're all meaningful, but on Sunday, I'll be placing flags on veterans' uh, gravestones. And to me, you know, this, this entire day of Memorial Day should be every single day, 365 days a year, because those men and women paid the ultimate sacrifice and wrote a blank check to this country so that you and I can even have this conversation on a podcast so we can continue to wake up every single day. These men and women should never be forgotten for the ultimate sacrifice. 
And we should remember, and it's a somber day. It's, you know, and I understand people like to have fun and they like to go out and they should enjoy the freedoms that those individuals paid the ultimate price for. And that's probably what they would want um, is for Americans to live their lives as they should. But for me, it's a little bit of self-reflection for some of brothers and sisters that I know who I've lost, uh, you know, throughout the last 20 or so years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And my take on it's a little bit different. But it's really just to remember those who gave everything. While some of us gave some, they gave all. And we need to remember them and hold them in our hearts each and every single day that we wake up and just thank God that we're still here because of people like them who made that sacrifice. And then I also want to just say, you know, for anyone, remember their families. Yeah. These individuals also, yes, they paid the ultimate sacrifice, but so did their families. And their families let them go to war to serve us and this country, to protect us so that we can remain free. And so throughout this weekend, remember those families that are around who no longer have their loved one because we are still here to protect us. You know, you really have to put it into context. Like a lot of people enjoy the day off. They do kind of summerish end of, end of spring stuff, barbecues, this, that, and the other thing. There's a reason that you're able to do that stuff. And especially for a lot of the congressmen we bring in here, an overwhelming majority have served in some context. A lot of them over the last 20 years have been, like you said, to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, like you have congressmen. And, you know, it, that takes a toll on you. And, and, and you've lost fellow servicemen and women around you throughout the course of your time in the military. And, and, and like you said, the ripple effect it has on their families and the communities, you know, people that grew up in small towns and they go on to the military, they don't come home. You know, they, they used to go to that corner store. They used to play in that little league. They used to participate in sports while they were in high school. And now, you know, they're just a memory. So take a little bit of time to give thanks and, and, and praise these people for making a sacrifice that be quite honest with you. Most Americans probably wouldn't. And it takes a certain kind of person to be able to go over there and, and defend our freedoms, no matter, you know, where it's at. But, uh, the way we're allowed to live in this country today and have podcasts like this, like you said, is has a lot to do with the, uh, you know, great service that our armed forces have done for this country throughout the course of its history. Yeah, no, w without question. And, and people should celebrate the day any which way that they would like. And, you know, I, I said it earlier and for everyone experiences this, this day differently than, than others in the weekend. Um, but, you know, people should go out and have fun because, you know, for the individuals that I've lost and that we've lost and that we know that's what they would want. They would want you to enjoy the day and they would want you to remember them, but really just to be close with your families, remember their sacrifice and to enjoy the freedom. Um, and I think that's ideally what, what they would want. Yeah. Uh, where I think we're pretty much all in agreement here. How about that, Noah? Yeah. Congressman, we're going to link your congressional website in the show description today, but for anyone that's not following you, I don't know why they wouldn't be for as many times as you've been on the show, but wants to keep track of all the great work you're doing up in Capitol Hill and out in Ohio seven, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, my official account is at Rep Max Miller. Uh, my unofficial account is going to be at Max Miller OH on Twitter. And we also have the same handles for Instagram and Facebook. But we are always out. We are always interacting with our constituency and putting things out every day. And would love to earn a follow and, and support uh, throughout your listenership. And I just want to take the time to, to thank both you, Ronan and Noah, you guys have been tremendous, uh, and this is one of my favorite shows to come on and interact with because you're genuine. You don't, you know, you don't mince any words. You're very direct, and this is what the American people need to hear: the hard, cold truth of what the national news media always blends into their own narrative of what they wanted to fit so that they can make a buck. So, thank you for what you do in terms of supporting our democracy that we have here and holding our ideals strong. Hey, we really appreciate that, Congressman. Yeah. 
almost as much as we appreciate it when we get you on the show. This is the congressman that represents Ohio 7, one of our great friends. Always happy to host him. Mr. Max Miller, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, Jens. Hope to see you soon. The Biden administration has reportedly given $40 million of your taxpayer dollars to companies who put conservative and Christian organizations in the same category as militant terror groups and scale them by levels of radicalization. There's the program called the Targeted Violence and Terrorism uh, Prevention Grant Program. This is supposed to find uh, domestic terrorists in America. There are 80 recipients of money so far. They've received $40 million in grants. You've got Christian Broadcasting. You've got the Republican National Committee. Already you've got more than half of America. DHS awarded them a grant of $358,000 to continue doing it. Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon joins us now. Tudor, we were just talking before this. This is insane. I mean, the, the groups in this list, it goes from Fox News to the RNC to Christian Broadcasting. I mean, what does this signify to you? Right. This means that the government can actually take our taxpayer dollars and use them to come out and say that we are terrorists because they have MAGA on that. They have the RNC, so opposing political parties. And then they have Fox News. I mean, think about that. Fox News is simply a news organization that is reporting facts, but they're facts that the Biden administration doesn't like, so they use our money to call us terrorists. I like the point that Brent made. Mm. You're literally calling half of the American public, potentially even more, terrorists. I mean, think about that for a moment. The DHS, Department of Homeland Security, should be focused on, oh, I don't know, that little thing down there at the border, maybe, instead of, you know, demonizing half the country. Right. As we see people coming in every day that are a threat and they're trying to hide that and keep that out of the the news. In fact, one of the only networks that is actually reporting it is Fox News, and they're calling uh, they're calling Fox terrorists, but they're calling the border safe. This is in. Well, Mm hmm. All is well. Mm-hmm. DHS mm-hmm. has been given a couple hundred million dollars to label us all domestic terrorists. And if you think that's kind of a exaggerated or inflated headline, as we're just cutting away with Max Miller, and we've got the former chief of staff of the DOD, Paps enthusiast, Cash Patel coming in to round out the show today. Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, was convicted yesterday in federal court of conspiracy to commit sedition. Mm. He never entered the Capitol on January 6th, and uh, he'll be enjoying 18 years in federal prison for it. Um, I don't know all the logistics of communications he had between wherever he was and people on the ground that day. Was he telling him what to do and stuff like that? But when you look at it that way, same way as the guy who, you know, was never in the siege of Waco, Texas, and was convicted on gun charges related to the event. Um, This is the angle that they've taken for a long time, and this is the angle that they're going to try and use to prevent Donald Trump from running for office. Uh, Donald Trump didn't obviously enter the Capitol on January 6th, and whether or not they are able to weaponize his social media presence in and around that day. Even though his social media presence, well... The ones that are still still recordable because they're there still, mm-hmm. not the ones that they were referencing that never happened. Well, didn't they delete the ones from Twitter? Yeah, that's what I meant. Like the, you know, they're saying that he didn't tell everybody to be peaceful. Which ones was it? Do you remember, Ron? Well, I mean, 
he talked about the ones that were Mike Pence was like a failure and, and scared, but he also said, uh, you know, the, the one that came out right after, I guess we'll call it just for. As soon as the violence started or whatever. Segment context, capital siege began. Yeah. Um, violence five minutes away. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was in the two o'clock hour where he put out the tweet about loving our brave men and women of law enforcement. We're the party of law and order. We can't have chaos. That's the one. And that they don't away. reference that one on the timeline because it's gone. Right. Although we still don't know who took a shit in Mitch McConnell's office, as Nancy <laughs> Pelosi so elegantly described in her January sixth shockumentary. I thought somebody did it on her no. desk too. Please, do we do we actually know who actually did it? No. I, I don't even know any. No, we don't. But the lectern guy, the man who had his feet up, you on know her, they ran DNA on that poop. So he was convicted today and is going to serve four point five years in federal prison. Really? That just came across the wire in the afternoon here. I mean. He did steal something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we did say if you if you did break the law, you should be oh punished. Got no sympathy for you, right? <laughs> oh, man. Are we going to get a lectern before he gets in the pokey or what? This is an Obama-appointed judge, federal judge in, in the D.C. Circuit. Who I would was, expect nothing less. Yeah, handing out these uh, sentences right now. I saw that as well. So, And you can expect the Department of Homeland Security to fuel these convictions as we head closer to Donald Trump claiming the Republican nomination. We talked about it on our Tuesday edition of the show. He's been awarded a middle of the Republican primary court date for the Stormy Daniels case in the Manhattan's DA office. He was busy this week. He also said that Steve Bannon will return to court a year from this month to figure out whether or not he's going to federal prison for allegedly scheming a border wall donation, GoFundMe, make money for himself campaign. But like for, you know, with the whole Stormy Daniels thing, I understand it's hilarious. I do understand what's going on, but at the same time, vagina. (laughs) Stop. Like what is the real argument here? Vagina. (laughs) No, the real argument is keeping Donald Trump off the ballot. (laughs) No, but it's it's not going to work. So we all know that. Everybody on on each side knows well, that. You 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 say we know that, but apparently with the U.S. government and the DOJ and these Biden appointed uh, judges, there's nothing off the table. Nope. At the same time, but they can't do. Can they really do anything? Like she said herself. How much stuff have they done already that we didn't think was possible? Well, I mean, nothing has stuck. Well, I mean, so. that, yeah. It's it's hilarious to okay. me. They're even trying this Stormy Daniels bullshit. Like I said last time, it's like, okay, keep going. Hilarious. I, I mean, I think Trump is laughing at all of this shit like no other, and his wife as well, who yeah. I love. But there are people who are facing real consequences for this stuff. And again, if anybody committed violence, did property destruction, stole stuff on January 6th, defecated <laughs> yeah, in the Senate Minority Leader's <laughs> office, they need to be held accountable. Um you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are properly marked bathrooms within the halls of Congress. So, well, maybe they weren't all gender. Mm, good that point. And uh, I identify as a desk shitter. <laughs> there you go. Let's hear Congressman from Ohio, Jim Jordan, weigh in on the new weaponization of DHS. 
worse. Earlier in the program, I spoke with Media Research Center President Brent Bozell. He says his yeah. group obtained documents that show the Department of Homeland Security is using a program meant to fight terrorists. And they're likening groups like the Heritage Foundation, MAGA, Fox News, the RNC. They're comparing all of those to Nazis, Congressman. Yeah, this is this is really scary, too. But this is consistent, frankly, with what President Biden said last fall when he stood in front of Independence Hall with that eerie background that he had and gave that ridiculous speech where he called half the country the fascist. Hitler speech. This, is, mm-hmm. this is now this this pattern, this mindset that I think exists in way too many of the top people in these federal agencies. Remember, this is the same agency, the Department of Homeland Security, who tried to set up the Disinformation Governance Board. This is the same government where the Richmond Field Office of the FBI said, if you're a pro-life Catholic, they view you as extremists. I mean, this is how ridiculous it's gotten. And again, it's why under Speaker McCarthy and House Republicans with the majority now, why our work on exposing how these agencies have been turned against the American people, against the very taxpayers they're supposed to serve, why our work is so darn important, and why we have to, again, use the appropriation process to limit how these funds are spent, American tax dollars are spent, and make sure we don't reauthorize FISA in its current form. Congressman, we would not know any of this stuff if, if the Republicans were not in charge. Thank you for your work. We'll be watching. Fact check, true. Uh, from Maria Bartiromo there, and and you know you have to just take into consideration you you've got to start choking the funding for DHS if they're not willing to do their actual job, which is safeguard the homeland amongst other things, especially along the U.S. southern border. Uh, you can't be giving them hundreds of millions. Of dollars. I mean, I'll show you guys the picture uh, after the show. They literally made a a food pyramid of domestic white nationalism. Mm. And how how much of a threat to uh, the republic's sovereignty they are, and uh, everything from Fox News and the RNC all the way up to some of the militia groups—they're all lumped into the same food pyramid of domestic terrorism. So it's just you know, it's laughable at this mm, point. Yeah, I think there's better words for it than that. Well, you know, trying Spe- to be positive. Speaking of laughable, and not being positive. I did tease those Joe Biden poll numbers, worse than Jimmy Carter's ever. Let's hear that. Generally, what do Americans think about how President Biden is handling the overall economy? So his overall approval on the handling of the economy is not great. 34% of Americans approve, 66% disapprove. Take a look at his overall job approval. It's a little better than on the economy, but still low. 40% approval, 60% disapproval. And Jake, take a look at that presidential approval rating matched up against his modern era predecessors at this point in their presidency. Joe Biden's 40% where he is now is down here between Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump. Of course, they were just one-term presidents. He's hoping for a Reagan-esque turnaround. Hmm. So all is well at the uh, bastion of non-fake news. Mm, perfect. They sure tried to put the lipstick on that pig, right? Yeah. That's a lot of lipstick. I don't, I don't see... Well... I guess when you talk about the walls coming down, Joe Biden has tried to reciprocate Ronald Reagan. His came down in between East and West Germany. <laughs> and ours have come down here on the southern border. Uh, the wrong kind of people are getting their freedoms from it now as they did back then when the Soviet Union fell. But I kind of see where he went with that analogy and, and just how uh, bad Joe Biden's looking everywhere from here to Mother Moscow at the moment. 
there's another thing because there's a lot of committees going on and, and there's a lot of work that the Republican House is trying to get in in regards to things that need to be brought to light to the American public besides raising the debt ceiling. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's their job to negotiate with Joe Biden and, and not have him, you know, pull back any of the concessions Republicans want made. It's not the Republican in the House and Speaker McCarthy to go out there and, you know, make concessions for Joe Biden. He has no mandate uh, at this point due to his low approval ratings in the state of everything. But the IRS whistleblower thing where the entire task force was taken was removed from the case regarding Hunter Biden. Yeah, that's wild. How, how, how do you even explain that away? Well, we're going to try to do so with our last two news clips of the week here. I might actually throw in a third one because I heard Donald Trump is uh, truth in a way as the show's going on right here. But let's hear Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson weigh in on now a second whistleblower who's come forward to talk about getting removed from the Hunter Biden case. One thing that we don't talk enough about, uh, I know President Biden's just so proud of his son, but let's, you know, we have the evidence that Hunter Biden paid for, paid tens of thousands of dollars for prostitutes that were sex trafficked through an international sex trafficking ring. Oh. I mean, I mean, uh, yes, ick. And President <laughs> Biden, during about a four or five month period, offered to pay for about $100,000 of, of Hunter Biden's bills when he was spending tens of thousands of dollars on these women who are sex trafficked. Now, if, if that is at a minimum morally reprehensible and wrong, and the president's defending that, and the media isn't even looking well, into it. Well, wouldn't that be a felony? I mean, if you're I doing business with a sex trafficking ring, that, that's more than ethically offensive. It is grotesque, but the media doesn't concentrate on it. We had that in our report. We, we had the, the business, the, the financial transactions proving it. James Comer does the same thing. But again, it's, it, it is so icky. It's so reprehensible. It is. People don't want to talk about it, but it's just galling to hear the president talk about how proud he is of Hunter. And he, he, he enables this. He enables it by propping up his son, both in, in terms of those types of words as well as financially. It's, it's really pretty sick. And whether Smartest or not, guy he knows, right? That's what I was going to say. I, I don't think we'll ever get to a real disposition on Hunter Biden, whether or not any of these uh, circuit judges are going to convict him, whether it be in Delaware, if they wind up figuring out something in Washington, D.C. on actual crimes that he committed. Uh, that's yet to be determined, but I'm, I'm not optimistic in this. I actually think the more and more we go down this road, and I do like the work that the House Oversight Committee, the Weaponization Committee, they're all doing right here, both in the House and Senate, uh, you know, providing oversight here, is just great for the American people to know how much of a piece of shit Hunter Biden is and how probably equally disgusting his dad and essentially the whole rest of his family is. But what is it doing to solve any of the problems that are currently facing the nation? And we weren't able to use the Hunter Biden laptop in the 2020 presidential election. I don't think aside from referencing it or using it as a counter narrative to maybe another surprise coming down the pike here. What does it apply to the Republican nominee eventually that they can use to their advantage moving forward? Like, I, I think if, if you're an average citizen right now and you're listening to this and you don't think that huge components of our federal government are working to literally destroy you, uh, I guess you just need to maybe not listen to the episode at two times speed or go find other references that we make here and try to f apply them to things that are not good in your life. Are you paying more at the gas pump in the grocery store? Does it ridiculously cost now for you to live on this planet? Are your kids' grades not where they used to be before the pandemic? 
And is it because we're implementing like third world children into your kids' schools and then start to spider web it back? Okay, well, this goes on the Department of Education. This goes on the Treasury Secretary. Then you start opening up cans of worms on Janet Yellen, and that'll tie you to the debt ceiling. Then you start, you know, looking at third world diseases like polio and tuberculosis that are becoming, unfortunately, popular in the United States again. We've defeated these diseases in the United States. Where are they coming from? Well, it's the over 10 million illegal aliens that have crossed the border and been dumped in every, you know, major city throughout the United States over the course of the last. Wait, you mean those children that are coming across aren't required to have their uh, vaccine schedule? Don't even get asked oh, about I mean, it. Come on. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with the whole vaccine thing. Wait, they can go to the schools without having all the vaccines that people are required to have in the schools too? They are considered a protected class. Exactly. I think we but, should be protecting our children. A lot well, of people. Well, I can get a doctor to see my son and my daughter if they haven't had the entire vaccine schedule, which is disgusting when it's been proven that all these vaccines that these children are supposed to get don't do shit. Well, some of them, it's just a matter of, it's just way too much too soon. Like maybe later on, like in their, in their teens or something like that for some of them that are, that are actually, okay. So now, uh, which ones did you reference that are, they're coming back now? Tuberculosis and and polio and polio, like polio. Okay. So maybe I'm not saying you should, you know, give your kids all this stuff, but I mean, if it's coming back, it's coming back. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to get it now at this point. Mumps, measles, and yeah. shingles have all been historically, you know, eradicated in, basically. And you guys, now all those rates of uh, infection are rising up. So these kids, these kids going to these schools are a protected class. Yes. So they don't have to do any of the stuff that is done 100% to protect the other students. That's what they say, including passing anything, which will only bring down the actual students' yeah, grades, the, the averages. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nice. For them, right? That's something that people need to touch on more in the in the general public. Getting outside of the box in the comfort zone and, and just, you know, like Noah always references, going out and seeing a movie and then going to dinner and taking a picture of your food. It has to be more than that. Yeah. We're, we're literally reaching zero barrier as a republic here. And, and every week, every episode of this show, for as much as we kind of... I don't want to be documenting the fall of the new Roman Empire. No, me either. Uh, we try to comedically and uh, accurately bring it to you guys, but this stuff is really important. Uh, James Comer, who Ron John referenced, jumped on with Jesse Waters yesterday to talk about this and some other crap that's going on with Christopher Ray. He's been busy, you know, over the last couple of weeks. We, we've just found out in the last few days, and I'm waiting for some relevant audio to come out or decent articles to reference. So we could talk about it on the show. Apparently, the FBI has known who the uh, RNC DNC pipe bomber has been since essentially day one. They were able to pull this guy's license plate off of the vehicle he got out of before he delivered the pipe bombs, which apparently now the FBI put out. It was so convenient like a month or two ago saying that they were inert and would have never went off anyways. Now that someone's leaked. That are they, there photos of them that are actually been put out? Like, is it just like a a bag of like plumbing products or is it actual like yeah, the fake fo- pipe the, bombs? The photos are, are crappy and grainy and you could see him enter the area, leave something, and leave the area. That's pretty much it. All the other rings and and surveillance cameras from around the most highly surveilled place on the planet, which is Washington, D.C., they didn't have anything for. But apparently the FBI said they had this guy's license plate since day one and haven't even investigated the subject. But that's neither here nor there. Let's hear Jim Coburn as we're talking about uh, him on Christopher Wray. Limit up. How about that for leverage? Yeah. Well, McCarthy's doing a good job, and the Senate Republicans are getting his back on that. We'll see how that ends, but I think it's going to end uh, in a manner that I think most taxpayers will be pleased with. 
so this is a good first step. Hopefully in a few months when we do the full year appropriations, the Senate will get our back because uh, we've got to hold the FBI accountable. What happens, Congressman, if Director Ray doesn't take your phone call? What are we going to well, do about Director Ray? I, I've told uh, Speaker McCarthy that I think we need to look at contempt. Uh, I think that we also, I've spoken with Senator Grassley, and we need to take extreme measures on uh, trying to get this uh, whistleblower to, to come forward publicly and uh, and say what exactly is in this document. Remember, this Form 1023 is not classified. It's not a classified document. So this is something that shouldn't be that hard for the chairman of the House Oversight Committee to obtain. This is a pattern the FBI has with respect to uh, a, a lot of cases involving the Bidens, and you go back to the Clintons, where they're not working with Congress. No, I and, know, but you know, they've been screwing it. us over for years now, and yeah. we've had subpoenas and threats and phone calls, and, you know, I, I think the American people's patience is running out on this cover-up, yeah. and, and I'm with you on it, but, you know, we're getting to the point where I, I think we need to do a little bit more than demand a phone call with the FBI director. Right. Well, I have subpoenaed. I've subpoenaed this document, so it'll end up in court. Uh, of course, you know how the, the judicial system is in America, but no, I, I have subpoenaed this document from uh, Director Wright, and not just the document. We want to know what they did to investigate the validity of the claim. This is a claim that the Vice President of the United States, who's now President of the United States, was taking bribes from foreign nationals in exchange for American policy, including foreign aid. I mean, that's a pretty serious charge. What exactly did the FBI do? to validate this claim. That's all we want to know. Yep. And they won't even admit that there's a, a Form 1023 on it. And again, that's that's more of the FBI stonewalling congressional investigations. We all remember what happened with Eric Holder. He was, you know, held in contempt of, of Congress. And, and long story short, after not giving a shit for a couple of years, he was given some probation, which I guess he served already by not doing anything in regards to the stuff that they need. And yeah. So that's, that's kind of how the federal government and, and most of the major agencies, including the ones within law enforcement, uh, are working for you, the American people. And that pretty much wraps up the week in regards to all the news we're bringing. As we're getting ready to jump in with former chief of staff to the DOD, great friend of the show, to wrap it up, Mr. Cash Patel. And in our last audio clip of the week, I do have one more. Donald Trump just put out a Memorial Day message uh, that he wanted to get out there to the American people ahead of the Live Golf Tournament this weekend and Memorial Day. Let's hear from the 45th president of the United States as we're getting ready to jump in with cash. With family and friends this weekend, everything is more expensive, a lot more expensive, actually, because of Joe Biden's reckless policies that have caused soaring energy costs and currency inflation like our country hasn't seen for over 50 years. This Memorial Day gas prices are up 48 percent since Joe took office. That's right. 48 percent. Food prices are up 18 percent. Airline prices are up 41 percent. Taxes are higher than ever. Interest rates for mortgages and car loans have put the American dream out of reach for countless millions of families. Meanwhile, in the Joe Biden economy, real wages are down 25 months in a row. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. In fact, it's the longest streak on record. The typical American family this Memorial Day weekend has lost an average of nearly $7,000 a year in purchasing power because of Joe Biden's failed presidency. You could take the worst five presidents in I knew history, it was coming. <laughs> and they haven't done the damage that Joe Biden has done. Just add them up. 
But help is on the way. On day one, I will begin to reverse the disastrous effects of Biden's inflation and rebuild the greatest economy in the history of the world, which is what we had. I will unleash energy independence, and we will bring the price of gasoline down immediately by ending Biden's foolish war on American energy. They don't want to drill. They don't want to get that liquid gold. We have more than anybody. But we're going to get it, and we're going to bring those prices way down. This will also put immediate downward pressure on food prices and the cost of living. By Memorial Day 2025, our country will be roaring back. We'll be well on our way to greatness like our country has never seen before. We were doing it, and then it got stopped by some horrible policies. We had horrible, horrible policies. They all happened so quickly. Not only will we be energy independent, but we will soon be energy dominant. We'll be making so much money, so much, that we'll be reducing debt and lowering your taxes. We're doing so many different things. Our country will be great again. I promise. Thank you very much. Wow. What do you guys think? Uh, does he mean this Memorial Day? I wish. Yeah. <laughs> Unfor- help us on, can help, help me on the way, but can help come here faster. Hold on. He's coming. I mean, you know, as we're getting ready to wrap here, guys, it's been a busy news week. I feel like we hit the ground running with the uh, National Pulse launching. It's been a resounding success, and we'll continue to be one as uh, you guys all join us and sign up for the Pulse Plus. Let's get ready and get Cash Patel up on the phone. But before we do that, one more time, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's the former chief of staff to the DOD, the former deputy director of the DNI. He's also the unofficial spokesman for Paps Blue Ribbon. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show today. <laughs> hey, boys, it's uh, great to be back. Thanks so much for having me back on the program. Always a pleasure to host you, sir. How you've been doing? Busy with everything, huh? So you're running around the country just doing stuff to help make America great again while we're waiting for President Trump to get back in the White House. <laughs> I'm trying, man. If I, if I look like I'm staying busy, then people will actually think I'm doing real work. I've learned that. I learned that in 16 years of government service from people who didn't do anything in government service but made it an art form. Now, you want to talk about service. I'm going to talk about continuation of service. Last week when we highlighted the subcommittee for the weaponization of the federal government and the three FBI whistleblowers were uh, being examined by the bipartisan panel, we did not expect your name to come up in in some of the questioning, but there it was. Uh, You know, we we had uh, Garrett O'Boyle on the show on Tuesday, and it was really great hearing about his heart, what compelled him to do it. It was kind of a shocker to us to, to hear him say he didn't and doesn't encourage people to continue to do it based off of just what happened to his family and the, and the two other mm-hmm. whistleblowers at the time. But you know, the fact of the matter is cash, you've been helping these guys out. I mean, your charitable organization is something that we've always highlighted on the show, whether it be eventually be a multi-platinum single or your <laughs> collection of children's books, but, but there's more behind uh, just that stuff. Even, even the fresh merch, 
like behind that there's there's like what the root causes of your organization is and, and you're really helping these guys out so we just want to do a you know lend credit where it's due and let our listenership know how hard you're working for you know some of the patriots who have had the courage and the spine which is something that's definitely lacking up on capitol hill right now to go out and support these people and their uh you know endeavor to, to shine truth and, and and bring light to the absolute rot that's going on in washington dc no look it's very kind of you to bring up the cash foundation and look the reason it succeeded is because of programs like yours it's not me helping anyone it's a collective uh organization of thousands and tens of thousands of people who have lent their money and time to support whistleblowers to support veterans active duty military law enforcement kids who want to go to summer camp what have you and um you know when you have brave whistleblowers who come forward and expose waste fraud and corruption like these guys did this past week and you hear about their stories about how the FBI seized their homes, took their goods, uh, they couldn't make rent, suspended their pay. I mean, this is disgusting behavior, not to mention lies by Chris Ray, who said he never retaliated against whistleblowers. Right. So the foundation came in and helped him out, contrary to what uh, Watermelon Seed, a.k.a. Schiff Jr., a.k.a. Silver Spoon Goldman says. Mm. No one's buying anyone's testimony. We didn't even know these guys, and I individually don't by witness testimony when they come in and they issue their statements and they provide credible reporting then we hear about them like you guys do and everybody else is in the media and when we find out they need a hand then that's the whole purpose of the cash foundation so yep. we're happy to just have lent a hand but we couldn't have done it without your audience really that's the whole point it's no it's no one single effort it's a multi-faceted team that we keep building and and it's great no, it certainly is, and and again, it lends credit to the hard work that you've been willing to put in since you left public service. Hopefully, coming back to public service at a, at a theater near you soon, <laughs> which is where I want to segue to next. Okay, so cat's out of the bag. No big surprise. Huge nothing burger yesterday. Actually, kind of a failure to launch situation. You know, we've talked about the uh, whole Ron DeSantis weirdo kind of way he launched his presidential campaign yesterday. I mean, when you see the writing on the wall, Cash, here's the thing. If he's going to be the man that supposedly the mainstream media, the billionaire donor class, and international lobby groups are backing to stop Donald Trump and the Make America Great Again movement, uh-huh. um, they're going to have to reciprocate, and they're going to have to produce some of the things that Donald Trump has given the American people over the course of you know his time uh, in office. And, and one of those things is the, the visuals the sizes of rallies, the way he's loved no matter where he goes in public, whether it's East Palestine, Ohio, walking into the DEA's office in, in Manhattan or coming out of the uh, guest entrance at a UFC event. Ron DeSantis doesn't bring that to the table. And it sounded a lot like Donald Trump's, uh, his final State of the Union address, the whole platform that he's kind of running on, you know, and even talked about the great American comeback. Donald Trump was using it coming out of COVID. Ron DeSantis wants to use it against Donald Trump. Now, every single person on the Trump team has been able to take pot shots at, at Ron DeSantis when they come on our show before he announced because everybody knew he was skirting campaign finance laws and FEC bylaws and stuff like that, going around on an international book tour to tell everybody how great it is in Florida and wokeism is dying there, but really not doing any of that stuff. It's it's draped behind you know these huge flags that say DeSantis 2024 on it. So it's not like yesterday's thing surprised anybody. But now that it's official, I mean, just yesterday, Donald Trump put out a video saying Ron DeSanctimonious has all caps, zero chance of winning the Republican primary for 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 governor of Florida before a man named Donald J. Trump endorsed him and then alluded to the fact that he's going to suffer pretty much the same fate in the GOP primary now. 
just from your vantage point, you've seen this whole thing kind of lay out. You're still extremely close with the president. You, you get with him and huddle frequently. So what do you see? when? Where's the play here? You, you've been in D.C. long enough, whether it be as a lawyer or a government official or a special assistant to President Trump, to know that this is just kind of a distraction. He doesn't have a chance to do it. And uh, what's the benefit of it by him announcing his candidacy to run for president? Well, I think there's a twofold benefit to President Trump and and and, uh, and his movement, his America First movement. One, I found it ironic and hilarious and tragic all at the same time that Ron DeSantis launches his uh, presidential campaign on Twitter with Elon Musk, who is supposedly building a censorship-free speech platform um, to allow all political people to succeed. But the now owner of CEO has picked his horse and put him front and center. And then Ron DeSantis comes in and says, he's going to fire everybody that collaborated with big tech to censor um, free speech in America. Really? Well, you know, Twitter was the biggest collaborator with the FBI to rig a presidential election and censor free speech. It's just ironic that he couldn't see past that. And all he wanted to do was beef up his users um, on, on, uh, over there on Titter, but it didn't really work out. The other thing is I'm loving these articles that say, look, hundred former Trump advisors or staff or employees are on the, on the DeSantis train. Great. You know where they're never going to work again in a Trump administration. Thanks for the list. Also, anyone that ever gave us those people, you're out too. Thanks for doing my job for me and publicly outing the people that will never join an America first movement because they were never really a part of it in the first place. All they cared about was seeing their names in the headlines. They didn't care about Donald Trump's vision. And when it served their selfish interests, they jumped ship. Thank you for doing that. And Ron, thanks for running and exposing your own corruption and hypocrisy when it comes to big tech and the FBI and Twitter and giving us a grade A list of people we will never have in the America First movement. That's, that's the thing I, I, I tell people all the time. I hope they took a good mental picture of what the inside of Mar-a-Lago looks like is the last time they went there is the <laughs> last time they're ever going to see it. And, th- and that, that includes Ron DeSantis as well. You know, I, I think uh, you made a couple good points there. It's weird how social media is being weaponized against Donald Trump even before he comes back to the arena. We all know due to fiduciary responsibilities and things, you know, building up truth social and making it as strong as possible. There was a hard line of June 1st uh, that Donald Trump can't cross. Well, I mean, he could. He is Donald Trump. He does whatever he wants before he can return to Twitter. I mean, your boy Benny Johnson the other day was going around Twitter after the Ron DeSantis announcement and saying he can confirm that Donald Trump's coming back. He's going to come back if he comes back when he's ready and it'll be epic. Um, But the thing is, we're starting to see it again. We, we're using one of the largest platforms on the planet, which is essentially, you don't have to say backed by big tech or backed by big donors or backed by federal law enforcement and the Department of Justice. It literally is all that. It was already used and weaponized against Donald Trump since he came down the golden escalator, very much so in 2020, to run out other people who are running around him. Now, if this was going to be a fair and free platform like Elon Musk said it is and, and you know, the public square for, for free speech and all this shit, they would have reached out to Donald Trump and, <laughs> and no matter what Donald Trump's opinion was on it, they would have got him on first and then went down the list of the other candidates. That just seems like the actual way it should have been done. But it's not. And now Donald Trump will never do one of those Twitter spaces probably because, you know, he doesn't like to play second fiddle. He sets the standard for everybody else to try and keep up with him. 
uh, on. Well, yeah, and he also doesn't use platforms that crash and implode and have guys like Elon Musk, who is basically allowing the World Economic Forum to run Twitter. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk cares about two things, your data and his money. Yep. And that's what he's buying with Twitter. And that's what he wanted with Ron DeSantis. So it is not a free speech platform when you have a former head of the World Economic Forum senior position as your new CEO, who is a Biden advisor, running Twitter. That is a total fail, but it shows Elon Musk's actual intentions. And I hope people stop talking about how great he is, because all he wants to do is build his stupid one app and literally own humanity. That's what he's doing. That's how egomaniacal he is. And I guess in that sense, him and Ron DeSantis are perfect for each other. So maybe they can build the X app together, but they certainly aren't building the road to the White House. No, they, they certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after that debacle yesterday. I mean, we wouldn't we don't even have to touch on it. We lowlighted it on our show uh, <laughs> of how embarrassing it was. And then, you know, Ron DeSantis reads his his rollout right there. It's like seven minutes of a robocall. It, it literally yeah. sounded it was, it was just awful and awkward and yeah copy paste that into like a word file and just have the computer read it it would have been more interesting Elon Musk could probably <laughs> do that for him but uh you know it's just funny seeing how this is all playing out right now you know all the DeSantis people were like wait till he gets in the race stop looking at there's no such thing as a national Republican nominee primary and then the Iowa poll comes out today and Donald Trump went up even more into the 60s uh, of percentages and uh you know in the head-to-head matchup with Joe Biden he's extending his lead I think it was 43 47 today or yesterday, and that was the Emerson poll. So lots of interesting stuff going on, Cash. Uh, before we do cut with you, though, I, I have to touch on government gangsters. There's, there's two little things. <laughs> we, we always have to highlight. So the 51 former intelligence officials, right? It looks like at some point they're going to get up on Capitol Hill and uh, give some dispositions on how they made the conclusions, which led to them signing that. I mean, obviously, we know it was all rigged against Donald Trump, and it was solely that. But also, we've been able to confirm this week, I haven't heard it anywhere else, is that John Durham is not going to testify in the near future before the House Judiciary Committee, but maybe they're looking to get him down the road a little bit in August and tie it into everything that they're kind of investigating right now. Well, that's not a bad approach. No. That's the reason. And uh, a congressman who is a steak for breakfast enjoyer and, and very reliable on the show is able to confirm that for us this week. So we're, we're proud to uh, be able to lead with that narrative, but we should, we should look to see John, John Durham up on Capitol Hill testifying sometime around August. And uh, you know, when you see all this stuff going on, I know you're one of the hardest and harshest critics of Congress right now. you got a lot of friends up on Capitol Hill. We, we know everyone that supports President Trump. You, you're literally pretty much from Matt Gates and Byron Donalds to MTG and everybody in between. You're friends with these people, too. But you are a harsh critic of uh, sometimes mm-hmm. inaction that you don't see happening. Now, we know because of the current numbers in the Senate and who holds the Oval Office, it's difficult to sometimes get stuff done. But when you talk about pulling layers back on the former 51 intelligence officials and getting that testimony from John Durham, which might lead to be big because then we're going to find out why the FBI dropped four investigations on Hillary Clinton. Do, do you think we're going to get some dispositions on that stuff moving forward? Yeah, look, and I appreciate you you bringing it up. It's like you said, you have to, it's not like I'm taking on these guys as enemies in Congress. It's right. I'm trying, trying to create the public will and remind Congress what's important to the public which they serve. And I think a lot of these people, Comer, Gates, um, uh, Jordan and company and their committees are doing great work, but I will continue to say what I think needs to be done. And what, if that is the strategic approach on Don Durham, 
I don't disagree with that approach. But what you have to do is lay the roadmap from now until August. And what you have to do is what I just said on my show, which drops tomorrow, is every one of those people that John Durham didn't compel testimony in the Durham investigation, I'm talking about Comey, Strzok, Page, McCabe, Priestap, Fusion GPS, and Glenn Simpson and Sussman, and Kleinsmith, all of these people and others, Congress needs to subpoena them immediately and get them locked into testimony under oath for two reasons. One, then you can lead up to John Durham. Two, liars always lie. These guys got away without any criminal culpability by pulling off the greatest criminal crime syndicate the United States has ever seen, and they did it from their government positions. Agreed. They will lie again. And the reason I want them up there lying again in 2023 is so that we can prosecute them in January 2025. Mm. That will be done in a Trump administration with the right FBI and DOJ leadership. Not only that, but we will expose them for the 51 Intel letter and the consecutive rounds of election rigging that they have participated in. The Steele dossier was their roadmap. It is their playbook. The 51 Intel letter is the Steele dossier 2.0. And you bet these guys are doing it again because they just got away with robbing the world's largest bank scot-free. Yes. And so the people on Congress need to start subpoenaing these individuals immediately, putting them under oath and getting their testimony and getting the documentation that surrounds these individuals. Because the FBI, as now we now know, has a neat habit, a nifty habit of destroying evidence related to political people they like, Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. twice over, with the emails, and now we learn with the Clinton Global Initiative. Yep. So we cannot rely on the FBI to keep any of this stuff. And as a former federal prosecutor, I've never heard of a federal case that even if we didn't bring the charges where we we're just like, okay, let's go to the closest bonfire and light everything up. <laughs> That's not how it works. So Congress has to go get the receipts and keep them and show them to the American people. So I think they've got a good roadmap if that's their plan of action, but they have to fill it along the way and not just put an, uh, a bookmarker on the very end of it. Yeah, I feel like going into the summer, I know there's a lot of time off here and there in Congress, but it seems like at least Jordan and Comer have a pretty good plan of getting Joe Biden really attached to this. You know, everybody knows mm -hmm. the briefing on the Steele dossier. He was there. Uh, and now they're trying to get all of the criminal activity that Joe Biden did, both when he held the office of the vice president and in his private life, affixed to all this other kind of stuff that's going on. And, and we, we bring up Hillary Clinton a few times. Cash, you know she's itching to get in this race, don't you? This is like I, I, look. I've been saying for a long time. I think she's going in. Yeah, I've been saying it for a, a minute. She she feels like she got robbed, which is hilarious, and she <laughs> actually pulled off the biggest crime to rob an election and still lost. Um, she has been wanting to become president for for forever. So look, she's already knocking Joe Biden on his age, yep. which is another bit of irony, but whatever. And she's already out there now on the search. She's actually in Las Vegas at some conference speaking. Um, so she's continuing to be out there on the circuit and I think she might jump in. I think you might be surprised, but what I think we should remind everyone is that the expansive Durham report as big of a success as parts of it were, it was equally as big of a failure, right? It is definitively shown Donald Trump is totally exonerated and it's definitively shown the FBI launched that investigation without any justification in law whatsoever. So now we got to take that message out to the 50% of America that still think Donald Trump's a Russian asset because they lifted, listened to Schiff, Swalwell, and Adam Gold and Dan Goldman. So we have to take advantage of that because if Hillary Clinton comes back in or whoever it is, they're going to run this playbook again in some other version. Sure. And they're already running it. And so now it's not a right-wing conspiracy. And if the Congress would act on a parallel track to take on the FBI, 
who have now openly, Chris Ray has openly intentionally violated a congressional subpoena with impunity by not turning over the document that Congress is lawfully entitled to on the Hunter Biden uh, IRS investigation. What happens when you violate a congressional subpoena? Well, the January 6th committee taught us you get referred to DOJ and prosecuted and tossed in jail. So they better go hard and fast after Chris Ray and his FBI because Congress has a lawful duty to conduct oversight. And right now the FBI is taking a piss on them from across the street at the Hoover building. So either they win the pissing battle or America wins it and Congress has to act. And Chris Ray, I'm not all for all of these impeachments and whatever. I think it burns up too much political capital and time. Sure. But two people need to be impeached. Chris Ray and Mayorkas. Yep. And then get the information out behind those two. We got to stop this rhetoric about, oh, yeah, let's go impeach Biden no. and do all this. It's pointless. It's going to go nowhere and it's going to cost us politically and it's going to cost time in the well of Congress where we need to go after people who have already caught lying to yeah. Congress, like Chris Ray and his FBI, who is destroying the system of justice in this country and creating a two tier system of justice, especially when you have his new dire director of counterintelligence, the new Peter Strzok. Testify to Congress that she didn't even read the Durham report. Nope. <laughs> the yeah. place that started it all, Peter Strzok and James Comey and Andy McCabe's counterintelligence section is now led by someone who doesn't even have the time to go back and say, okay, we got this wrong. The Durham report, as Chucky e. Todd even put it, uh, was devastating to the FBI. And that guy's calling for a church commission, which is hilarious in and of itself since he was the author of Russiagate with Adam Schiff on his dumb show. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I digress. No, it's the truth. I mean, you touched on everything today, Cash. I, I was going to stay off of Chris Ray, but you looped him right into it. I mean, we saw James Comer said he has like, I don't know, 48 hours to produce the documents that he's asking in regards to the Biden crime family. In addition to that, snuck right under the radar uh, with the Rob DeSantis announcement the other day. The FBI has known who the rnc dnc pipe bomber has been since day one they've oh had, yeah i saw that they've had the license plate of the car that the person parked and got out mm -hmm. of and walked into and there's been no investigation into that person by the fbi on the books at least period mm -hmm. so yeah i wonder who, what team he plays for yeah hmm. well congress subpoena that video go get it yeah so we we got a lot of work to do and we are going to be looking forward to the next time we have you on the show cash we're as always going to live link the uh organization in the show description today and there's only one place on social media that we could find you where is it at cash on truth social man it's always going to be that way <laughs> former chief of staff to the dod former deputy director of the dni one of our great friends an elk for breakfast. Enjoy your Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, boys. It's still breakfast time in Vegas. I'm going to go get some elk and a PBR. Get it. Busy way to end the news week, but I think we nailed it, gang. Nailed it. Hey, remember, our first members-only Pulse Plus edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast is going to be airing on Sunday with the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam. Get in there. Make sure you're also subscribed to the show across every downloadable podcasting platform. If you're listening to us on a podcasting platform today, subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. Also, don't forget to follow our new landing page at thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com. And again, sign up for the Pulse Plus. Make the investment, and we'll continue to change the way that you consume your news. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us today. Ohio Congressman Max Miller, former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, and big-time National Pulse contributor, economist Jim Nels. They helped make steaks great again. We'll be back on Tuesday with episode 243. We've got a heater coming in here following the Memorial Day weekend. The Raw Egg Nationalists, economist from the Heritage Foundation, Richard Stern, Ambassador Carla Sands, 
and the one and only Dr. Ron Paul. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ron Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. Everyone loves a good comeback story, right? Seabiscuit, The Mighty Ducks, Robert Downey Jr., uh, who Rocky. Else? Yes. Kim Kardashian. Kim, well, well. In the video, she gets she gets come on her back, I think. <laughs> Powered by the National Pulse.